This took place in the spring of 2018. I live in the farmlands of Wisconsin, and there are trees everywhere. I was with a friend of mine at her house out in a rural village. We were bored, so despite the looming threat of rain, we decided to go for a walk down some of the back roads. There are houses here and there down those roads, but it's mostly just fields of cows, horses, and crops. We headed south down one of these roads, and after walking for about ten minutes, we came across a dump site in the woods. It was a place where people dumped crap that they didn't want anymore, filling up this ditch. We found this to be odd, because my friend that lived in that area her whole life never knew this was here, had never heard or seen it before. There was a bit of everything dumped into that ditch. Old televisions, new shoes, even an old Glock and a trailer. Even stranger, I decided to poke around one of the spots that wasn't so far down, and I found deer legs. Not the whole body, but just the legs from the knee down. In fact, there had to have been eight or nine individual legs like that. This was creepy. We decided to check this out more on the way back. We kept walking south down the road. We wound up talking about supernatural things, ghost stories and the like, only making us more spooked. Eventually, we had to turn back. A few minutes into the journey back, though, we heard something that gave us pause, something that sent chills down my spine. It was the sound of a little girl giggling, coming from the forest nearby. After a moment of being creeped out, we decided that it was just a nearby family, just a little girl playing outside. When I pointed it out to my friend, she told me that she knew everyone in this area, and we were over a mile away from anyone. Nobody was supposed to live out here. A girl of that age should not be alone this far out, either. We decided to start power walking then, ready to get back home fast. We were beginning to near the dump site again, and I had the worst feeling coming over me. I wanted to run then and there. The sun was getting close to setting, and the darkness of the trees petrified me. My friend, however, slowed her pace and walked to the edge of the ditch, staring down into the trees. I heard sticks beginning to crack from within the forest. There was someone out there. We need to go, I said to my friend as I ran up to her and grabbed her arm. Please, let's just leave. But she was frozen, staring in the direction of those noises. After a moment, the location of the sounds shifted. Whatever was there, it was huge, snapping branches with ease. It sounded like it was in the trees. As the thing drew closer, this seemed to snap her out of her trance. She grabbed my arm and yelled for us to run. We sprinted down that old road, hearing the snapping keep pace with us for a solid half mile until we reached the edge of the village. We got back to her house and locked ourselves in her room. I had to go home that night, and I wished that that was the end of it. I live in the country just outside of a different village. My house is bordered on one side by a farm and on the other three by fields and woods. That night I heard scratching on the siding beneath my window, 
I checked to see if there was anything there, but by the time I made it to the window, the sound stopped, and there was nothing and no one outside. Over time, it got worse. It wasn't just scratching, but each night, something would throw itself against my window randomly throughout the night, never failing to horrify me and make me jump. I still hear it every once in a while. Honestly, I can't wait to move. Because when I'm home alone out here, I fear for my own life. Goatman in the Ozarks From Daniel B. This encounter took place during Easter weekend. My dad wanted to spend Easter with my grandmother, who lived by herself on a small cottage on some farmlands in the Ozarks in Missouri. Her place was surrounded by a large forest. Whenever we'd go visit my grandma, she would always tell us about the strange noises she would hear coming from the forest at night. We got there one late afternoon on Saturday, and me and my dad shared a few drinks together before we all headed off to bed to get ready for the egg hunt the next day. Around one in the morning, I woke up to use the bathroom I headed downstairs to do my business. After I finished, I made my way back from the bathroom before stopping as I heard my dad call out for me. I went in the direction of the voice and noticed that it sounded like it was coming from outside. I began to make my way to the front door before noticing something that stopped me right in my tracks. There on the couch was my dad, who had a few empty beer bottles on the floor around him but was very much blacked out. Despite this, the voice of my father came again, calling out my name. It sounded off somehow. It sounded like someone recorded my dad's voice and played it over with a modifier to it. It sounded so weird and distorted. It was coming from right outside. I began to slowly approach the front door before stopping. I then went to go take a peek out the window just to be sure what it was. All I saw was pitch darkness, except for the faint outline of a figure standing by the door. At first I thought it was a man, but then I saw that this thing had horns, like some kind of demon. I'm not sure how, but I swear this thing was probably looking at me. Then I saw the figure shift before a different voice came from the same source. Let me in, Daniel. At that point, I ran throughout the house making sure everything was locked down tight. I then ran into my room, covering myself in a blanket, and I shivered until sunrise. I'd never been so scared again. Easter came and went, although the whole time I felt as if I was being watched. When we left my grandmother's house, there in the tree line, I saw something. It was standing seven feet tall, and it was covered in a mess of dirty black hair. Though it was built like a man, it definitely was not one, because men don't have heads like goats. I haven't told my family of this encounter, but I'm just glad that I hadn't opened that door, because if I did... I wouldn't be here to write this. I'm still filled with concern for my grandma, 
because I wonder if that thing has been haunting her this whole time. Was that thing the source of the strange noises she's been trying to warn us about? The Bones from the Fire from SP I live in a town in Scotland. It's mostly urban, but we do have a good amount of rural areas. This story happened when I was in primary school. I was nine years old. I lived in a house on farmland, out in the rural areas of town. These countryside regions had loads of abandoned places, which were great spots for my friends and I to go hang out at. It was summer break, and me and my two friends, T and E, decided we should go explore the old abandoned graveyard. We got some food and drinks from a shop. Then we went down the long, narrow road that led to the old gravesite. We passed several farms and joked about the smell of cow manure coming from E and were making other dumb nine-year-old jokes until we made it to the graveyard. Once we were there, we all stopped the constant joking due to us being scared but not wanting to admit it. The graves were covered in moss with many of the names covered and unreadable. Bottles and cans of empty drinks lay all over the graveyard. The trees made the entire area darker. We climbed up onto the old broken-down small building and sat there eating our food and drinks. After a few minutes of laughing together, T stopped and began to stare outside of the graveyard towards the open area near the river. I then looked towards where he was looking. I saw a group of people around a fire. We could slowly start to hear them shouting things. Then a car came up to the graveyard and parked just outside, but no one got out. The three of us decided we would take another way back, then ran up the hills that would take us eventually back to the houses once we ran far enough. While we were running, we could still hear those people shouting, and then someone screamed, screamed like they were being killed. I didn't look back, but T did. Apparently, the group of people saw him and shouted at him to come down to help them. We just kept running after this. After half an hour, we were near the houses and a store, but were still on the farmland. I tripped over as I'd been running too long, which was actually good luck, because when T passed me still running, he ran into an electric fence that we hadn't seen. E had to pull him off of it. T was left with a pretty bad scar, a reminder of this terrifying event. But it wasn't over, because this fence was blocking our path back home, so we had to retrace our steps back. When we got to where that group of people were, we were careful and quiet, but we saw that they were gone. Relieved, we began to walk through their campsite, just ready to be out of there. E saw that the campfire was put out and noticed something in it. He ran over and then shouted at us. He told us to follow him to see what was in the campfire. When I did, I was terrified. There were human bones among the ashes. We ran as fast as we could out of there, 
in complete disbelief and terror at what we'd just seen, hoping that it was fake, hoping that this was a prank on us. I know we should have told someone, but we didn't, and to this day, it remained our little secret. The Odd One from Joanna I'm a 20-year-old girl striving to become a vet assistant and to hopefully have my own vet one day. I've always loved animals. However, they've made for some of the most unsettling encounters that I've ever had in my entire life, and these are just a handful of my experiences. I'm going to begin with one of the stories I remember the most fondly, because it's also the one of how I got my beloved cat, Liv. She didn't have the best start into life, but I believe she is now better off with me. Anyway, we live on the countryside, a good two hours away from the bigger cities. Even for a small town, we're pretty far out there, and don't have a lot going for us. My cat was a pretty much feral barn cat on a farm not more than 15 minutes away from my flat. As I said, it was a very small countryside town, pretty much surrounded by farmland and barnyards. It was a disgustingly hot day. I was drenched in sweat, and the blinding sun was beginning to annoy the crap out of me. But still, I was excited to have my first ever cat. I was practically ecstatic when we arrived on the barn that actually had cats, not cats, but kittens, and I would be taking one home. I immediately saw them. I instantly had my eyes on a tiny black cat that was frail and sickly looking, sitting off to the far left. It was dirtier than all the other cats, and much smaller. That was my poor Liv back then. She was the same age as all the other cats, but because of how sick she was, they all looked double her size. I was told I shouldn't take her because of that. I was told that she was the runt and would probably die. But I was already smitten. Besides, I would never leave behind a sick kitten like that, especially if I had the chance to rescue one. After some pleas and a brief moment of giving my mother my most convincing puppy dog eyes, it was decided. I was allowed to take Liv home with me. Naturally, with a bit of help of the landowner's employees, I went to catch her, or, well, participate in catching her. I say this because immediately, as soon as I drew closer, I was taken aback when I saw the first adult cat around. The first thing that I immediately thought of seeing this cat was how oddly focused it was on my live, not looking away from her once. Not to mention the fact that the other cats had a response to me, either running away, watching me, or just coming towards me. But this one didn't care that I existed at all. But that was by far not the only weird thing about this animal. I practically grew up with animals, knowing them like the back of my hand. Its body was disproportionate, way too large, and had crooked claws on the front paws. Everything about this cat screamed creepy. Its fur looked like nothing I'd seen on a cat. It was so dry like straw. My animal-loving self had never not wanted to touch an animal, up until that very moment. 
as the cat continued to fixate on Liv and ignore me. I'd spent enough time on observing it to miss that they had caught Liv. I noticed this because Liv let out a hiss so ferocious and a scream so loud that the odd cat thing jumped off the fence it had been perched on, moving in a way unlike any cat I'd ever seen. There was no graceful leap, no movement at all like a normal cat jumping from a high place. Imagine picking up a cat and dropping it to your feet, how it would land all awkwardly on all fours with a deep thud. That's pretty much what this was like. After this, it began to trudge menacingly after the person that carried Liv. It was creepy to watch it walk like that. It didn't even have a tail. Not a stub either, like the thing did not even have a tailbone. I wanted to feel bad for this cat. The way it acted, the way it looked, it seemed so unrealistic and scary looking that I was sure that the heat was just getting to me. My mother called me over when they finally managed to put Liv into the transport box, but I was so fascinated with this hideous cat or non-cat thing that I slow walked my way over alongside it. Its attention was still entirely on Liv, even as she was long out of sight. Sitting barely a meter away from the box, the odd cat opened its mouth disturbingly wide, then sat motionless none of its body moving at all as the sound of an odd yowl came out of it. There was no twitch, no bending of its whiskers, no blinking, just a noise that sounded more like a person trying to pronounce a yowl than a cat actually doing it. I crouched down alongside it in an attempt to get it to meow again for me, but the one time I got it to look at me, the only time... It narrowed its eyebrows the way a person would to scowl at someone. I'd never seen such hatred in an animal's face. It was so human-like that it frightened me. I was almost happy to leave that place, if only to get away from that weird cat. The Scariest Night of My Life From Michael I live in the great northwest, full of long, very expansive forests, home to creatures and animals yet to be discovered. Washington State, to be exact. The summer before sophomore year, I attended a local church camp of all places. I'd always been religious. This camp was a nice, well-built-up camp with lots of options to choose from for daily activities. After a long day, me and a few of my cabin mates began talking. They wanted to see the edge of the property, ten miles away from the entrance. The camp had a large lake on one side, and was basically farmland everywhere else, save for where the entrance was, where there was a large, wealthy neighborhood. I agreed hesitantly to join them on their journey. It was late that night when we left, around 11.30. We used our phone flashlights to see around as we began walking. I was getting nervous fast, knowing we should either be close to getting there or already there. It wasn't too far of a walk from the cabins to a lamppost that marked the edge of the property. Shortly after we rounded the last bend of the trail smoothly, without any hesitations or holdups, we came to a rock overhang that once I laid eyes upon it, I began to feel an overwhelming feeling of terror and anxiety. 
feelings that I could not place. The other boys chose a spot for us to rest at. I should mention here it was me and four other guys. As we reached this large rock to sit on, our phones and flashlights all died simultaneously. We were all confused and startled by this. A few of them looked to me, asking what we should do. I shrugged. We rested for a while, but one of my friends, Sam, randomly got up without saying a word, walked over to the edge of the trail. He grunted as he picked up a medium-sized rock, then threw it in our direction. I got up immediately as the other boys seemed angry and frightened. What the hell, man? I said to him. But his face was emotionless. He didn't look back at me as he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I didn't mean to do that. My heart sank at hearing his voice. We all talked anxiously after that, trying to dismiss the obvious tension in the air. Let's just keep walking, Jack said. So we all agreed and pressed on. Well, I didn't agree. I wanted to head back. In my mind, things could only get worse from there. As we carried on, I was at the back of the group. When I looked up, I counted four figures, five in the group as usual. Some time passed, and I looked up again. I wasn't trying to count the figures in the group, but I did anyway, sort of like how you see a sign and instantly read what's on it. But when I counted them again, there were five figures in front of us. Our group was now made up of six people. When I rubbed my eyes, confused, and looked back, there were now six people in front of me. A group of seven. There were two unknown figures in our group walking amongst us, and the other boys hadn't even noticed. This kept happening as more figures appeared, until there was a group of about twenty of us in all and I swear that I could hear them making low and raspy whispering noises around us. I was horrified, but too scared to leave the group. Instead, I wanted to remain calm, trying to build up the courage to tell my friends, but I couldn't bring myself to, because it didn't make sense that the boys hadn't seen these other figures. It made me scared that if I did say something, every one of them would turn around and I wouldn't see a familiar face among them. These figures followed us all the way until the chapel was in sight. As soon as we came close to it, they seemed to just fade away. So did their whispers and hisses. When they were gone completely, I ran back full speed to the cabins, face tearing up. The boys ran after me, checking if I was okay, but I told them that they wouldn't understand. When we came back, the counselor and camp leader were standing there waiting for us. They were furious until they saw my current state of despair. I pulled them outside and out of earshot of any of the other cabins. I quickly explained everything through sobs, apologizing for agreeing to assist with the boys' mischief. They dismissed the mistake and told me to follow them. They led me to my feared destination. According to the counselor's phone that I'd caught a glimpse of, it was 3 a.m. The worst possible time to be out here. 
We walked past the chapel into the deeper part of the trails with flashlights. They told me that we were going to pray. I remember closing my eyes, hearing powerful, piercing whispers. Whispers similar to the ones before, but angrier. I squeezed my eyes touch shut, hoping it would all go away. When I opened them, I was in the nurse's cabin. What had happened? She was telling me that breakfast was ready in the mess hall. But first, I wanted to know what happened to me. I was told that I'd been carried back from the woods after passing out while my counselor and camp leader had prayed. I still don't know what was up with that land. I have no idea what those strange whispering entities were or what they wanted. But I feared them. I feared them more than anything else. Even as we prayed with the power of our own God, either them or my fear forced me to black out. They seemed dangerous to me, and I wished that I had never gone out there. Those boys and I never talked again, never saw each other outside of camp, and I haven't been back to that camp ever since. We weren't really that close of friends, so I guess it was natural. This was my most horrifying experience. In all my life, I had never been so scared. I have no explanation to this. And even if it wasn't paranormal, all those figures in the woods, it's still very unsettling. Fresh farm-grown food is great. A farmer's lifestyle will keep you in shape and active. Farming provides sustenance to everyone. So, farming is pretty great. Well, I'll accept for the part where the land is undoubtedly haunted and riddled with monsters and creeps. That part is easy to forget until you wake up in the middle of a cornfield with something chewing on your toes. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you've got a story that you want to narrate it on the show, start by sending it to us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below to donate via Patreon or get yourself some of my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about seven real encounters with Chupacabra. Very Rare says, About time you made a video on this creature. Thank you. Well, I actually made a video on this creature a long time ago. Don't forget I got a massive backlog of videos and stories you can listen to. It would take you a long time to get through them all, but I definitely think you'd have a good time, so check it out. Cody Farmer Riley says, Backwoods Stories. Cody, I literally just did a video on deep wood stories. Those are kind of the same thing, not entirely depending on how you're using it but they're very similar. I'll cover the backwoods soon, just not too soon, if that makes sense. Carbonated Rin X says, Yes, chupacabras make my spine tingle. Well, when you let them drink your spinal fluid, they'll usually make your spine tingle until you lose all nervous sensation in your body. Then, no more tingles. Homer McIe says, Thanks, Darkness. Under a tornado watch, this brings me hope. Well, at least you can die in peace. Living near Tornado Alley, like myself, 
We get tornado warnings all the time. Once you hear those sirens go off, it's like, huh, guess I'll die today. So I hope you're alive, my friend. Emily Schollenberger says, My daughter is so happy to see this. She would love a shout-out. Her name is Alayla. Well, that's a pretty name you got, Alayla, and I hope you hear this shout-out. Also, the name Schollenberger makes me oddly hungry. It's probably the burger part. Yum. Chelsea Powers says, Woohoo, trying to get up there in the top. Love your videos, Darkness. Well, Chelsea, you've got the powers because you're up here in the comments today. Oh, I cringed the entire time I said that. But, congrats. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. Thanks for watching, or listening. More scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're the bestest people. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Be late for the bus stop. You wouldn't want to be late to work or school, would you? So grab your change, ticket, or token, and hop on the bus, surrounding yourself with strangers often shoulder to shoulder. Immerse yourself in skin-to-skin -skin contact with dozens of other people you probably shouldn't trust. And now repeat this every day for the rest of your working life. Sounds like a great time. Wait a minute, we're supposed to be talking about creepy things at bus stops and on the bus, not the monotonous horror that is often life. <laughs> well then enjoy the following stories. If you have a creepy story of your own, you can share it with us for a chance to have it narrated at darkstories.org. Don't ride the bus alone at night. From M. Jean Romeo. When I was young, 20 years old, I was working a crappy retail job. Usually, I'd have to work one of two shifts, either 8 to 5.30 p.m. or noon to 8.15 p.m. on a rotating basis. One particular day, I was working the dreaded 12 to 8 p.m. shift. The store had been locked up for the night, and I bade my colleagues goodnight, heading to the bus stop. The bus stop was 15 minutes away by foot. It was a cold night, so I all but power walked down the street. I made it to the bus stop and plopped myself down on the bench. I pulled my phone out of my pocket to check the time. 8.32 p.m. I sighed in relief. The bus was due to arrive at 8.35, so it shouldn't be long until I got back in the warmth. A couple of minutes later, the bus pulled up. I hopped in, paid my fare, and walked to the back. I sat in the very back seat, then I put on my headphones, starting off some music and getting comfortable. I had a 45-minute ride ahead of me, and I wanted to relax. About 15 minutes into the journey, the bus stopped at a quieter street. 
The doors opened up and an older man, carrying a large overnight bag, climbed in. His face was obscured by a mop of hair. I saw the driver do a double take. As the man turned towards him, the man began rifling through his bag, looking for, I'm guessing, some change or a bus pass. The driver looked uncomfortable and clearly did not want to look at the man any longer than necessary and told him not to worry and just to go take a seat. The man grunted in affirmation and started to make his way down the aisle. It was pretty late at this point, so the only other person on the bus was an older woman who looked to be dozing off. Couldn't say I blame her. The man had plenty of seats to choose from then, but for whatever reason, he decided to sit at the back of the bus, only two seats away from me. I found this odd and slightly unsettling, given the reaction of the bus driver. But soon I dismissed the thought and diverted my attention back to my phone as the bus began to move again. I was tired and I wanted to get home to crawl into my warm and cozy bed. Another five minutes or so passed. The song I was listening to just ended, and in the break of silence that ensued before the next song began to play, I heard a strange noise coming from the man two seats away from me. I looked up at him out of the corner of my eye. He was hunched forward, clenching his bag tightly in his hands. This was creepy itself, but the worst part was the strange sound he was making. He was breathing heavily, panting. A small, almost giggle seemed to be escaping his mouth. I felt my heart jump in my chest. My eyes scanned the bus, seeing if the other passenger had noticed the man's strange noises. My eyes connected with the older woman, sitting near the front. She gave me a sympathetic smile, but turned quickly to face the front of the bus again. I swallowed nervously and risked another glance at the man. Then my heart froze in my chest. He was staring at me. I got a good look at his face. Long stringy gray hair, dark sun-aged complexion, and a large gap-toothed smile. But the worst part were his eyes. His pupils were huge and surrounded by a dark brown iris, but so little of his iris could be seen that his eyes appeared almost entirely black. One of his hands released the bag and he motioned for me to take out my earbuds. Not wanting to anger the guy, I complied and took them off. He grinned wide at me and scooted closer. I then caught a whiff of his disgusting breath and had to hold back the urge to gag. He whispered to me in a low, gruff whisper, Do you want to see something special? I looked at him in confusion and he gestured to the bag that he was holding. I took a closer look at the bag. It was old and torn and something dark was staining the bottom of it. I shook my head quickly. N no thanks, I'm good. My voice quivered as I replied. I saw the man's eyes narrow. Are you sure? He said, patting the bag. I got something mighty special in here, and I wanted to share it with you. It was at this point I noticed the man had a slight American accent. I couldn't place exactly where the accent came from, but he definitely was not from around here. 
I forced a smile and again shook my head. Something like that should be kept a secret, I said. The man's eyes narrowed further, and he grew quiet. I nervously cleared my throat and faced the front of the bus. Another twenty minutes of awkwardness passed. The man had said nothing further, only continued to clutch the mysterious bag. I could feel his eyes boring into the side of my face. I was so uncomfortable, I decided to break the silence. I opened my mouth to speak, but he beat me to it. Say, girl, you work in that big department store by the roundabout, don't you? I've seen you working on the shop floor a few times. I froze in my seat. This guy knew where I worked, and when I got off this bus, he was going to know where I lived. Yeah, it's a nice store, I answered. I didn't know what else to say. The man began to pat his bag again. You see, I made something special with some tools I bought from your store. That's why I wanted to show you. I felt my blood freeze in my veins. Had this guy been planning to catch me on the bus? Did he know the route I always took? I'd never seen this guy in this route before and I knew I'd never encountered him in my own workspace. I shrunk back in my seat, holding my bag protectively in front of me. I threw a glance out the window. I was only fifteen minutes away from my house. I looked back at the man who was now grinning at me almost maniacally. Your name, he said. It's... it's Anna, right? I stared at him wide-eyed. This guy even knew my name. He must have been stalking me. So many worst-case scenarios whizzed through my head then. I was now trying to figure out my escape route. He started to unzip the bag, and I stared wide-eyed in horror as he pulled out what appeared to be a rag doll. The doll wore a dirty white dress and was covered in similar dark stains like the bag. These stains were dark red, like dried blood. The doll had a head of long, dark hair, pulled into messy pigtails. Eerily, the hair looked very real, and was actually identical in color to my own. The man held the doll towards me and said, Here, take this. I made it for you. That was the final straw. I jumped up out of my seat and ran to the front of the bus, frantically hitting the button to get off, and to my relief, the bus came to a stop quickly. I jumped off the bus, the driver grumbling that I needed to hit the button sooner if I want to get off. I waited until I heard the bus door shut behind me, before I dared to look back towards it. I shrieked. The man stood his face pressed against the glass, and I came to understand what else had been inside the bag. He was holding a large blood-stained kitchen knife and was scraping it against the window. I saw him mouth something to me before the bus drove off. I knew what he had said. See you soon. I'll be waiting.
I booked at the remainder of the distance to my home. It wasn't until I was back in my own room, under the cover of my duvet, that I felt safe again. I never rode that bus again. I quit my job the next day and was lucky to find another job not too long later. I shudder at the thought of where the hair on that doll came from and whose blood was on that knife. I'm just grateful to have escaped with my life that night. The Woman at the Bus Station From Brittany K. I had gone to visit my aunt in Los Angeles over vacation break from school since the students were split into different track colors. Mine was green, and we were off for the entire month of January in 1999. By the 22nd of January, I was ready to go home to spend the remainder of the month with my parents and siblings, before, of course, heading back to school. My mom had asked my grandfather if he could get me from my aunt's house, and we'd catch buses back home. Early Saturday morning on January 23rd of 1999, I felt anxious and I just wanted to get going. So my grandfather and I were dropped off at a Greyhound bus station where we would be catching a bus to San Francisco. By the time we got there, I was starving, so my grandfather asked me to stay put inside the station while he left to go get us some food. You see, my grandfather had this jolly personality about him. He never saw the bad in people, so he didn't think it odd to leave me at the station. Meanwhile, he ran an errand. I felt scared being that I was only 13 years old. I was standing there surrounded by our bags and a crap ton of people. A few minutes later, this middle-aged woman approached me and kindly but firmly suggested to me that I should take a seat and watch some TV with her. Since there were these mini TVs connected to every seat, that were activated by inserting quarters on the side of them. I was hesitant for a few seconds, but my legs had grown tired from just standing there waiting. The woman helped me collect the bags and take them over to where the benches were. Then we sat down. She gave me some quarters to activate a TV. Then we began to watch a black and white show that appeared. She then began to make small talk with me. I told her that I was waiting for my grandfather, who had gone to get some food, to which she nodded up and down, and confidently declared, Yes, I know. I felt confused by this. How would she know that I was waiting on my grandfather? I was beginning not to trust the woman, and at that point I wanted to get up and go back to where I'd been standing, but my legs wouldn't budge. I was frozen in place. I glanced over at the woman and she smiled at me, then gently nodded towards the TV screen since it had turned off. I just sat there for a minute. Then after what felt like ages, I shakily inserted another quarter into the side of it. It buzzed back to life. I stared into the screen, not actually watching what I was seeing. I began to wonder why this woman was actually here and what would happen. And yet I still could not move from the seat. I really don't know why I stayed there at all. I was scared, and I just wanted my grandfather to magically show up so we could go wait for our second bus on route home. Almost as if the woman had read my mind, I heard her say to me, 
Your grandfather sure is taking a while, isn't he, sweetheart? I squirmed a little at this. I just wanted to leave. I wanted to go home. After what felt like another hour, my grandfather had finally shown up with a puzzled expression on his face. He walked over to me and asked, Who helped you bring the bags over here? They're too heavy for you to carry. I must have looked a certain way because he then softened his tone and asked me, Sweep, I, who was here with you? I looked up at him and said, There was this woman, Grandpa. She gave me quarters for the TV. Am I in trouble? Tears began to well up in my eyes, but then he surprised me by asking, Sweetie, where is this lady now? I looked at him feeling confused, turned around to see that there was no one there, no one at all. In fact, the previously crowded station was empty. It was just me and my grandfather. When my grandfather had dropped me off at home some hours later, I immediately told my mom about the lady at the bus station. My mom tried to lighten the mood, telling me that maybe she was an angel who was sent to look after me. But now that I'm older, I can't help but wonder what on earth that woman actually might have been, what she potentially had planned for me. I guess I'll never know, but that smile, it was far too creepy to be from an angel. Late Bus Creeper from Lisa This happened in March just last year. I was 13 years old, and I was horrified to take buses after this incident. Like a typical day, I was taking a public transport bus home after school, except it was a later bus than usual. I had a badminton practice after school, so this bus I never took home. I got out of practice at 5pm and the next bus was 6.30, so that meant me having to wait an hour and a half for the next one. For the most part, I just played on the phone. The times for this particular bus I was taking are usually messed up and make people have to wait over an hour for the next one. Mine finally came, so I got on. I took a seat down next to two people. The two of them got off pretty quickly though, so I was soon not surrounded by anyone. I was on my phone texting some people, when some late twenty-something guy got on and sat next to me. I thought nothing of it, just wanting to keep to myself, but I did notice he had a bag, and apparently he had an Xbox One in it, which wasn't a big deal to me. After about 20 minutes of sitting silently, he said something along the lines of, Hi, how are you? I replied with, I'm good, thanks. But he kept on talking until he had to get off. I was getting off in the next few stops, so I wasn't worried about being lonely. I was almost home, after all. I thought that guy was pretty nice, even though I hadn't wanted to talk, and he just kept going. But I didn't think much about it after he got off until a guy sitting a few seats away said something. He introduced himself as Jim. Jim said he knew that guy, and he'd known him for some time. He said the guy preyed on children and to not talk to him. My heart sank. When I got off the bus, I was thinking about what that guy had said. 
One of the things he said before he got off was, Do you have an extra TV at home? I need one for my new Xbox. I had told him no, sorry, and then he offered to come over and let me play his Xbox at my house, asking me if my parents were home. I again said no thanks. I now knew that this guy may have been trying to get to my house. When I finally got off the bus, I was terrified, realizing this guy was a predator and that he could be following me even now, trying to see where I lived. I circled the block a few times, trying to confuse or lose anyone who may be following me. I walked home then, paranoid as all hell. I haven't seen him since, but it really freaks me out that I, of all people, encountered such a blatant predator. I'm glad I never invited him home. Stranger at the Bus Stop From Thomas A. It was autumn of 2012. I was 15 years old. I was on my way back home from a friend's house who lived about an hour away. I was waiting at a bus stop at around 9 p.m. I lived in a rural area in Germany. The streetlights here don't often work at times, which they didn't that night. I was always quite an easy person to scare, so I was just sitting there curled up a bit, creeped out and somewhat desperately waiting for that bus, which I actually still had to wait about 40 minutes for. After 15 minutes of waiting, I heard a really quiet sound, like slow footsteps, in the darkness to my right. I couldn't see who it was or how far they were. It didn't help that the bus stop had a sort of shelter cover that only opened up to the front. I couldn't see much to my sides. I was hearing these footsteps approach to my right. As an adult, I know that I should have alerted the person to my presence, as to not startle them in the middle of the night in the dark. But I was a scared little 15-year-old kid. I didn't want to draw attention to myself, so I stayed quiet. The footsteps stopped right beside me, though. I was sitting right against the wall, so I could hear where they stopped. I heard these strange clicking noises and figured that the guy must be having a cigarette or a cigar right now. Then I heard a phone ring and the person picked it up. At first I only heard a bit of voice on the other end of the phone, which I couldn't understand. I only heard that that voice sounded really fast spoken and the speaker was female. Then she stopped and that guy started speaking with the creepiest voice I've ever heard. Every word was so deep, and the voice was raspy. I kid you not, this is what he said. Oh, yes. I'd like something different. Now that's what I like. I like those little ones. You're gonna love these kids. At least I love them. There was a pause in the line, and the woman started speaking even faster. I could hear some sort of fear in her voice. I recall thinking to myself how I could solve this situation. I checked the time first. I had 20 minutes to wait, and that was far too much time to just sit here and wait it out. So I did something stupid. I called out. Hello? He was still on the phone and the woman was talking, but when I spoke, he immediately hung up on her. 
as if he had been caught doing something he shouldn't. Then there was silence, only some raspy breathing erupting in the night air. After an undetermined amount of time, the silence was broken when he began to walk again. I couldn't make out where they were going, and then there was a knock coming on the wall behind me, the glass wall. The guy, for whatever reason, didn't go in front of me to confront me, but rather had snuck behind me. I wondered then if he didn't know that there was a back wall to this thing. I jumped and turned around, only to see the most terrifying thing in my life. The guy was at least six foot seven, if not more. He was staring down at me with menacing-looking eyes wide open. He was wearing an all-black suit, a fedora of some kind, and had long, messy, greasy brown hair. Through the glass, he asked me, What did you hear? I answered with a weak, What? Nothing. Just someone on the phone. He seemed to think for a long time, his eyes piercing me all the while. Then he slowly, in a deep voice, said to me, I can easily find out who you are. I can find where you live. If I hear anything about this, I will get you. He smiled and still stood there, but I was frozen in shock. He began to walk around the stop towards me, but I was so horrified by then, I was able to muster enough courage to pick up my feet and run at full speed away from him, towards the city where my friend lived. I made it back okay, and I never saw the man again. What exactly he was talking about on the phone that he didn't want other people hearing, I have no idea, but I'm terrified that if I speak up, he'll find me just like he said. Ravenous Hounds from Angel This happened when I was in fifth grade. I live in a bit of a wooded area, but there are houses all around. When I was in the fifth grade, I was dropped off at my bus stop on a Friday. My house was only three houses down from the bus stop. My house is kind of different though. It's got two acres of land instead of one and the empty land is closest to the stop. As I was walking home on the road, I was about a house or so away from my own home. There were two tiny dogs. I would like to say that they looked like miniature pinchers, a white one and a black one. The dogs started barking at me and I kind of shrugged it off, but I jumped a bit as I was easily startled back then. I started walking on and then from my right I saw two large black dogs ran out of a yard and went over to me. I didn't see them coming until it was too late because the area they came from was overgrown and abandoned. All you could see were tall bushes, dead brown trees and such. The dogs came barreling towards me, causing me to freeze up. When I unfroze I put my binder to my side and stopped cradling it. These hounds were barking at me, drooling. You could tell they were hungry, and you could plainly see the bones in their ribcages. I screamed then, which I think completely saved my life. From the corner of my eye, I saw something brown speeding towards me. My dog, an old chocolate lab named Snickers. She heard me scream and came over, 
I'm surprised she could tell from that distance that it was my scream. She came to my rescue and stood snarling right next to me, protecting me from the other dogs. The dogs weren't as brazen, but still drew closer slowly. I screamed again, this time my Nana and Papa coming. They threw rocks at the dogs, trying to keep them at bay. And then my Papa put me on the four-wheeler he was on and drove away with me as I cried. The dogs pursued us for some time before finally running off. My Nana hugged me back home, and Snickers licked my face. I was happy, but also horrified that on my own street, a couple of dogs trying to eat me and seeing the way they acted, I had no doubt that that's what they were trying to do. I'm 18 now. Snickers passed away back in February of 2016. Dogs aren't just a man's best friend. They can also be your lifesaver. You'd think that I would be scared of dogs because of this, but I'm not. I love and respect them more than ever, and I know Snickers was the best girl. Be careful at bus stops and keep your eyes peeled when you ride the bus. I know that when you ride a bus or wait at a bus stop, you're most likely exhausted at the end of a long workday. But when you close your eyes or turn away to relax, you leave yourself wide open to the horrific things and people that are constantly looking for any moment to prey on people like you. So be careful and don't forget to thank the bus driver. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want me to read your story, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check out the links in the description to donate via Patreon or to shop my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about five farm horror stories. Corey Black says, Moo, I'm a cow. Nice to meet you, Corey. I'll be eating you at McDonald's quite soon. Ethan Johnson says, When you're so early, it says no views. More like, when the channel's so dead, it's got two views after a year. My greatest fear. Jay Spade says, For F's sakes, darkness. Gotta upload at night and force me to watch from the farm I live on. Thanks, mate. Hey, it's my job to scare people as much as possible. I see this as a great success. I wonder what mysterious or creepy things lurk on your farm, Jay. Sadat Tariq says, Hello from Pakistan. Love your channel. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much. I love hearing from people from all over the world. It always inspires me to want to gather some stories from that location. Some Pakistan ghost stories would be great. And Marble and Marble says, Get darkness to one million. I'm not sure that'll ever happen, but as long as I can continue to read you guys' stories and have someone listen, I think I'll be happy. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one.
Reykjavik, Kelpie, Fey Folk. Europe is ripe with mythical creatures and dark folklore. Creeping out children with cautionary tales before bedtime is their expertise. But these are more than just myths. You see, many people of Europe have seen these creatures on their homeland. Strange and horrifying creatures that will have you begging for your sanity. These are ten strange creatures seen in Europe. If you want your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. There's something wrong with my dog. From Swedish Hunter. I'm 18 years old, and I'm from Kirina, Sweden. It's about as far north as you can get, and I've lived here since I was six. My family is originally from Finland, but we moved to my granddad's house here when he passed away. Even if I haven't lived here my whole life, I know our land like the back of my hand, and there's a lot of it. We inherited miles of forest, and my brother and I have turned basically every rock we could find. My dad's an experienced hunter, and he lives in a small cabin in the woods during hunting season. We rarely see him until that's over. Well, when I was around 14, I was finally allowed to come with him. It took a lot of convincing since he sees his hunting as relaxing, so he prefers to be alone. But I'd gotten pretty good at hunting myself, so I was finally allowed to come along. It was autumn, so it wasn't that cold, but I remember we spent the nights huddled together in front of an open fire. We had a really nice time for about a week, fishing and tracking animals in the woods. We had brought along our one-year-old Norwegian elk hound named Titi, and it was her first hunting trip. We were both excited to see just how well she'd do. One misty morning when we let her go, she took off like a rocket, tracking something around the house a few times before bolting into the forest. We followed her for a few hours, eventually ending up in a very gorgeous clearing where we sat down to drink some hot chocolate. As we were chatting about nothing in particular, we hear her barking again, which meant she'd found something. So my dad told me to pack up as he ran ahead. I wasn't worried as I saw him disappear into the tree line. I knew the forest better than anyone, I thought. I was walking out towards the tree line after packing up, pulling out some loose strings from my sleeve as a shot rang out, which made me jump. Luckily, my dad had reminded me to wear my earmuffs. I got excited. I practically ran towards the sound, but remembered that my dad had told me to stay away if he started to shoot. So I stopped, and I stayed in my place for a while, until I heard another one ring out, and then another. There was a total of five shots fired, until T.T. stopped barking, and let out a loud scream. It was like nothing I'd heard before. I'd stepped on her tail before once, and I heard her whimper, but the sound she let out that day... It sounded like a strangled cry from a person. I knew something was wrong. I began to scream immediately for my dad. I could hear the sounds of footsteps approaching. Then my dad came running through the forest, carrying Titi in his arms. 
He had covered her in his jacket, which was covered in red. I barely remember what happened after, because I was crying so hard. We ended up in Dad's truck and drove off to the vet. They took her in as my dad drove me home, hugging me as I continued to cry the entire day. TT did not get to come home until a few days later, and when she did, she had bandages all over her face. She was really sad and whimpered if anyone got near her snout. I didn't care though. I was so relieved, so happy to have our dog back home and okay. My dad told me she had been kicked by a moose and that her nose was basically crushed. It was bent 90 degrees to her right, and she'd lost most of her teeth, poor girl. I still feel bad thinking about dad having to feed her through a tube as she healed up. She eventually did get better, and life went on again as normal. She recovered nicely, and I was allowed to come along on more trips to the forest. But now, starting about a month ago, strange things began happening and it's scaring my whole family. On our last trip, we found tracks that looked like they came from a giant moose. Now we're used to moose walking around our property, and we know how big they can get. But these tracks were so huge that even my dad didn't follow them. He said they were twice as big as the biggest tracks he'd ever seen, and Matt was saying something. During the night, we'd hear moose calls really close to the house, and we'd find tracks closer and closer to our home. One day, my brother had been playing outside with his friends, when they suddenly started screaming. Outside, just by the edge of the forest, stood a massive moose. Dad grabbed his rifle and pointed it towards it, but the creature just stood there, staring us down without even flinching. It only moved when my dad fired at it, and even then it slowly turned back into the forest and walked away like it had all the time in the world. T.T. ran after it suddenly, which was obviously dangerous as the moose was colossal and didn't even seem a bit scared of any of us, let alone her. We tried to call her back, but she did not listen and ran into the forest. We looked for her, tried to call her back for hours, but we did not find her for two days. She ended up coming back home on her own. But honestly, I don't think it's the same dog that ran off. Not only does she seem skinnier after just two days, but she acts differently. Even after her severe injuries, T.T. was always cuddly, obedient, but now she stays alone and keeps to herself. She doesn't even sleep in my bed anymore, which she would do every night. Nowadays, she just wanders all around all night and sniffs around our bedroom doors. Sometimes we hear her growl and make this gargling sound, like she's going to puke. But when we check on her, she's just fine. She doesn't listen to our commands anymore even when we bribe her with ham or meat. Ham used to be her favorite, too. My parents tried to get me not to worry, saying that she's probably just exhausted from being lost and that we need to give her more time. Well, I did. We all did. 
but she kept acting weirder and stranger. She stopped eating her food altogether. She began to limp, but after bringing her to vets, they never found anything that would cause her to limp. No reason for her to walk strangely. And then her fur began falling out. She grew scabs all over her body. She'd snarl whenever anyone tried to touch her, and we were scared of even going close to her as she'd snap at us. A few days ago, after having a few drinks with some friends, I came home and fell asleep. I had the most horrifying dream. I dreamt that I was in our forest, trying to find my way back home, but I became more and more lost. I knew that I knew my way home, but it was like the ground kept changing around me. I could hear the sound of large hooves stomping around as I began to panic. Then I heard T.T. bark in the distance, and then heard her scream, just like the day when she was attacked. Then I suddenly found myself in my parents' bedroom, standing in the doorway as they slept in their bed. Then T.T. crawled out from under the bed, but her front legs were hairy human arms with long fingers that scratched at the floor as she emerged. She looked disturbing. Her teeth dug into her lower jaw, and her eyes were glowing bright red. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't do anything. Just watch as she crawled onto their bed. Then she stood up on hind legs, which grew in length. She slowly became an old man with wrinkly gray skin, with eyes that glowed red. He or it turned to me, opening its mouth which was just a large black hole with long, sharp teeth. It began to growl at me, but it sounded like a dog's growl, just off-key. It's hard to describe. It was kind of like auto-tune, but really, really off-key. It was then that I woke up screaming, my sheets drenched in sweat. But the worst part? Titi was standing in the doorway. She was watching me, sniffing the air as I screamed for my mother. I cried in her arms for an hour before she managed to calm me down. She reminded me that it was just a weird dream, and that helped me calm down a bit. But Titi kept getting worse, and I'm having nightmares like that every night. In the most recent one, I see Titi's body heaving on the ground as her twisted snout bled into her throat choking her, and every time I have one of these nightmares, I wake up to see T.T. standing in the doorway. It's like she's watching me and enjoying these nightmares I have, or maybe she's what's giving me these nightmares. By now, we've taken T.T. to several different vets, including one six hours away. They've tried to treat her for parasites, bacteria, and a bunch of other things, but nothing makes her better. If anyone knows what this is, what's going on with my dog, I'd like to know. I think that giant moose thing has something to do with it. I think it was the thing that attacked my dog, and I think it came back for her. The Maidenhead Monster From King Vulture I've seen something you would not believe. 
I live in England, and this all started when I was coming home from school. I always come and go to school on a minibus, listening to music. One day, as I was looking out the window, passing the time, we weren't far from the school, when I saw something disturbing. There was a creature or a thing in a weird walking pose. It was staring right at me. I only saw it for a few seconds, but I could tell right away that it wasn't human, even if it appeared to be pretending to be one. It had no neck, almost as if its head was fused to its body. It didn't have fingers either, none that I could see anyway. It had legs, but the legs were like a deer or elk's. I remember doing a double take, my mouth dropping open, and wishing I could go back to see it. But it was gone in seconds, as the minibus drove away, quickly rounding a corner, causing the thing to vanish from my sight. I wasn't so much scared as I was just confused, you know? I saw something that didn't really make sense. A few days later, I saw the same thing again. But it was crossing the road only like 10 or 12 meters away from the car I was in. I had the window open, and I could hear the sickening noise it made. It was constantly screaming like a person in pain. It was a very menacing sound, one that sent chills all over my body. This time, I was happy I was driving away. When I got home that day, I swear I saw something dash past our house. But maybe I was just paranoid. It could have been one of those mean cats that kept attacking our cat. When I went to bed that night, I woke up to the sound of faint screaming again, at exactly midnight. It was the exact same scream, too, that that thing had made. I was too terrified to look out the window. When my mother and I have to go get my big sister from work at night, I always get the feeling that I'll see it again that it's just watching me from the darkness. But at least I haven't seen that thing since. Who knows if it's still out there? If you live in Britain, do your best to avoid the Maidenhead monster. Who knows what it's capable of? Vampire Encounter From Anonymous I live in the UK in Newcastle, near the countryside, so usually it's quite peaceful and nice, but this experience would change the way I saw this place forever. My experience happened back in August 11th of 2016 at around 10.30pm. My brother, my friend and I were out walking in a field. We went into the woods to sit and walk around, just chatting and hanging out. Around then we heard a twig snap. We looked and saw a woman just walking through the woods as well. I thought nothing of it. We often saw other people out here walking around. Now this woman looked quite young, appearing to be in her early twenties. Again we just ignored her. But soon we realized that the woman just kept walking back and forth. So my friend, worried about her mental state went over to ask her if she was okay. The woman said to him that she was just keeping an eye on us. We thought this was weird, so we just kept going, but she continued to follow us. 
We stopped and this time I went over to tell her to get the hell away from us. This was a mistake because when the woman lifted up her head and looked at me, there was now blood dripping from her mouth. Her eyes were dark red and bloodshot. When she stared at me, I felt paralyzed. I couldn't move no matter how hard I tried. I regained control of myself only after my friend yanked me by the hand and turned me around. We all began to run. I could see my brother far ahead of us, almost out of the woods at this point, but I couldn't see the woman. I kept getting this feeling that she was right behind us, though. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I couldn't believe what I had seen. I believed in the supernatural. I've always enjoyed folk tales and stories about it, but I never thought once that I'd see something like this. I thought she was going to get us. I thought we were going to die. We had nothing to defend ourselves with, so we ran as far and as fast as we were able to, until we all nearly dropped, out of breath and exhausted. When I looked around, there was no sign of the woman, so we quietly but quickly walked out of the woods. We went back to my house, sneaking past my mother, because I knew she wouldn't believe this story. Be careful in the woods of Newcastle, because I think a vampire lives out there. Three Fairy Encounters from North Wales, Part 1, from L. Wilco, 77 I've always believed in the Fae, and I'd like to share with you three fairy experiences that have happened to me while I spent six months in North Wales on a study exchange. The first experience happened in March of 2018 at the Great Orm Mines in the town of Halandidna. The Great Orm was a late Neolithic copper mine, and as I was studying archaeology, our lecturer took my class there for a field trip. We went out of season so there were no other tourists, and one of the resident archaeologists gave us a tour through the underground complex. It's amazing. You can still see the marks where people excavated the shafts using deer antler picks. Inside the mine, there is one of the largest pre-industrial age man-made caverns in the world. While our guide was talking about the cavern, another student and I were standing further up the mine shaft towards an opening in the cavern. Now, we were told not to go off the path because it can be quite dangerous. Rocks can fall and there are hidden shafts but the guy I was standing with asked me whether or not the guide would let us have a look in the larger cavern. I said it couldn't hurt to ask, but probably not because of the rules. He said that he was just going to have a little peek inside the cavern. I told him to be careful then. Just as I said this, he began to step inside the cavern when a huge, heavy rock came crashing down from the ceiling right where he was going to walk. We both jumped back and looked at each other. The commotion had attracted the attention of the rest of the group, and the guide asked what had happened. I told him that the rock nearly came down on our heads, but it didn't look like a rock slide, as only one came down. The guide laughed at us and simply said, The knockers were telling you two not to go in there. I've heard of mine fairies before, but I wanted to pick his brain 
so I asked if he had any experiences with them. He said sometimes when you're exploring the mine, your tools and food will go missing, even when you're alone, then show up in another place. On other occasions, uncanny archaeology discoveries will be found in odd locations, where nothing would be expected, like a clay lantern that was used to light the tunnels for the miners 4,000 years ago, being found in exactly the spot it had been left, soot from the flames still blackening the wall behind it. Part 2 The second encounter happened not two weeks after the Great Orm Mine Encounter. I was camping in the thick mountain pine forests around the village of Betvisikod with two friends. We were staying in a small clay hut in a little gully, not too far from a place called Fairy Falls, where it said that water fairies dwell. It was early morning at around 6 a.m. My friends were still asleep in the hut, and I had decided to go for a walk in the woods. Out of nowhere, I heard these bugle horns, the kind of horn that horse-mounted hunting parties use. I'll mention here that the forest around the hut was extremely thick, and the terrain was quite steep, so it would be impossible for horses to go through it. There was a small track further up the mountain, but we were so remote that not many people came out this way. It seemed odd that a hunting party would be in this kind of terrain that is so ill-suited for horses and had low visibility for spotting prey. Also, these days, fox hunting is almost entirely illegal in the UK, unless on a private estate, and we were in a national forest. After I heard these horns, suddenly a large white dog with red ears bounded out of the pines, jumped the fence, and ran over to me. It was definitely a hound, similar to a foxhound, but not quite the same. It was friendly, though, and came up for a sniff before quickly leaving me to sniff around the clearing the hut was in, looking for the scent of its quarry. Then I caught sight of more white dogs, all with red ears, running through the forest undergrowth, all barking as they had now caught the scent of their prey. I didn't fully see their quarry, but I caught a flash of something white, even more white than the dogs, as it ran down the steep gully edge. It was gone too quickly for me to make out what it was, but it almost looked like it was floating. I could hear the horns getting closer and closer, but I never saw the hunters, only those strange-looking hounds. The thing is, white dogs with red ears have a very specific place in Welsh folklore. They are the Gwyn Onwen, or Hounds of the Other World, and they belong to the King of the Fairies, Gwyn Apnud. They are also said to escort the dead to the other world, as well as hunt wrongdoers to the ground. Were they actually the Gwyn Apnud's hounds? I can't say. I didn't see Gwyn himself but it was certainly an odd and eerie scene, so far out in a thick forest. Part 3 This final fairy encounter happened on the night of Belkana, Eve of May Day. Belkana is an ancient festival heralding in the first day of spring. Many Wiccans and pagans celebrate it today, but the festival is much older than any New Age rendition of it. It is meant to be one of the days of the year, 
The other day is Samhain, or Halloween, when the veil between our world and the other world is at its weakest. I was at a stone circle in the town of Bangor, on the straits that separated mainland wells from the island of Inglesey, the last stronghold of the Druids. We had decided to have a little Belkina party, so we were playing some music and drinking a heap of wine. Before we got into the wine, though, I poured a little onto the earth as an offering to the Fae. I'm not a Wiccan or really a pagan, but I thought it'd be fun to do. Anyways, the sun set and it grew dark. I was looking out onto the bare trees near the edge of the stone circle and noticed little flickering lights in the tree canopy. At first, I thought they were car headlights across the straits, but they didn't move like car lights. They bobbed up and down, and when I looked directly at them, they vanished. Because they were in the canopy, I thought they could have been the lights of a helicopter, but it was silent. No telltale sound of the rotors. Now I will say that I had been drinking some wine, but I definitely wasn't drunk. I wasn't sure of what I was seeing, though, so I asked my friends if they had seen them too. None of them had. I kept pointing them out and insisting that they were there, but no one saw them, not even the self-described witch of the group. Because no one but me seemed to see them, I let it go and watched them until they simply faded away. This to me was undeniably a fey experience. I saw them. I wasn't drunk or high. I just wished someone else had seen them too. This time, though, I had no particular idea of which fey it may have been. I've had plenty of other paranormal and unexplainable experiences in my six months in Wales. I'll share them one day, as they are quite strange. I'll say that even though I've experienced these things in my life, I've never had so much activity happen in such a short space of time as when I came back to my ancestral homeland. Mythical Creature in an Abandoned Village From Mikarlo 01 I'm a 20-year-old guy from Croatia. I think I was 12 or 13, though, when this happened. We were kids full of adventure spirit. One day we were told by my friend Martin's mom that there was an abandoned church somewhere in the forest around my town. She used to play there when she was young. So me, Martin, and another friend of mine named Luca accepted the challenge to go find and explore the church. Now my town is located in the rural part of our country, and it's surrounded on three sides by a forest and one side with a meadow. There's also an abandoned village there called Diratina, and that is where we three went. It's not entirely abandoned, but I think only three people live there in three separate houses. So Diratina is surrounded by forest on all sides, and it's connected with gravel roads. We came in ready to investigate. We came to one point where the road was too rough to ride bikes on. So Martin and Luca went to check further on foot, while I stayed to guard their bikes. I wasn't scared because there was no legend of anything scary in this town or around it, and I'd never really heard any weird stories from out here. But not much longer after they left, I began to hear these loud screams. At first they sounded like dogs that were being attacked, 
and I was beginning to get nervous. I didn't know what to do in that kind of situation. I remember thinking, maybe these dogs were attacking my friends. I wanted to grab a nearby brick and go help them. The moment I'd gathered the courage to actually do something, I saw the two of them running back now, yelling at me to run. We escaped, and when we thought we were safe, I asked them about what was going on. They seemed pretty shocked by something. They asked me if I had heard those screaming sounds, and I said yes, that I thought it was dogs. But they said they weren't dogs at all. Lucas said that it sounded like it was coming from an abandoned house in the woods. Martin said that it felt like something didn't want us to find the church. They said that something had been chasing them out of those woods, but they never got a good look at it. We quickly rode home on our bikes. The next day, Martin came to me, talking about a legend he had researched recently, called the Drekovic, or Howler. The legend says it is a creature made from an unborn baby that can't be destroyed or killed until he finds his own peace, and the descriptions of its howl matched perfectly with the sound we heard that day, like canid howls mixed with child's cries. We would never return to that abandoned village again. The Fireplace From Green Pansy 67 when I was a child, I used to live in an old Victorian house in the UK. My bedroom had a huge fireplace like you would see in a living room, but because it was Victorian, they used to have them in the master bedrooms as well. I would share this room with my big sister, who was about ten, and I was eight at the time of the incident. We used to sleep in this huge room on a bunk bed opposite the fireplace, about six feet away from our bed. We were used to hearing noises from it, often from the pigeons that nestled in the chimney, as it hadn't been used for years. We would occasionally see twigs and other nesting material fall from the chimney. It wasn't something that bothered us too much. We basically grew up with it. On the other hand, I was always afraid of the dark. It would keep me awake for hours before bed, as I always felt like I was never alone there. Of course, at the age of eight, I knew very little about the paranormal, and I used to assume it would be monsters that would get me in my sleep. One night, I had been lying in bed for a while, unable to sleep. I could hear my sister snoring gently above me on the top bunk, although that wasn't what was bothering me. I was facing the wall away from the fireplace when I suddenly felt an enormous surge of terror. The kind you hear about when you listen to ghost stories. But of course, at that age, I just knew the feeling was wrong. So I pulled the covers over my head tightly, leaving my feet poking out at the bottom. I lay there for what seemed like only a few minutes, holding my breath and trying to be as still as a dormouse. I could hear breathing right next to my face, though, from the other side of the blanket, and it made me want to scream. But I couldn't. I was too terrified. All of a sudden, I felt something sit on the bed next to me. It wasn't too heavy, but it sure as hell was heavier than me. I sat as still as I could, trying not to cry from fear. As I lay there still as could be, the thing, whatever it was, grasped onto my big toe and pulled on it. 
In my fright, I yanked the covers off. I was face to face with a huge black figure. The closest thing I could relate it to would be the Grim Reaper without a scythe. The creature wore a cloak with a sort of pointed hood on its head, and although it was hard to tell, I knew it was no human. As soon as it saw me, it floated out from my bottom bunk, and without as much as a whisper, it faded into the chimney and was gone. I was so horrified that I jumped out of bed and climbed up into my sister's top bunk. I didn't move a muscle all night. In the morning, I asked my sister if she had seen anything. My sister said she hadn't, and so I asked my mother what she thought it was. She was actually quite believing of my story, saying that ever since they had moved in, she had often seen out of the corner of her eye a presence moving from the back door to the pantry in a straight line. Needless to say, I've never forgotten that thing in my bed, and now I never sleep with my feet hanging out of the covers anymore, as it creeps me out just to think about it. Well, I couldn't find another two new stories in time to complete this video, but I do have two juicy stories that match today's theme from back in 2017, so odds are you haven't heard these before. Enjoy. Welsh Woods Monster Submitted by Nathan I live in South Wales, in a little village just outside of Cardiff. I don't want to name the place specifically, but there is a very popular singer from this particular town. Also, anybody who knows Wales will know that the outside cities can be quite rural and a mixture of fields, forests, and mountains that quickly will merge into old mining villages. One day, I was on my way home from an 11-hour shift. As this happened in winter, it had been dark for hours, despite only being 8 o'clock in the evening. I had decided to take a detour, as my regular route was blocked due to an accident, and it was the worst decision I've ever made. I decided to go over the mountain that leads to my local village. The road goes up a steep incline that cuts in on itself, and it continues to go up and up. There are no street lights, but there are road markings that keep you on track. After about 10 minutes, I make it to the top of this mountain. There is nothing notably strange at this point until I start to drive the slow incline down towards the deep forest. I'm about 30 seconds into the drive down when I realize there are no other sounds other than the rattling of my engine and the radio. It was strange. Even though I couldn't hear anything outside of the car, it felt like I was being told that something isn't right. I don't know why, but I stopped the car in order to listen to the sounds that should be there. The trees were dark and still, and I could barely see past the tree line either side of me. In front of me, my car headlights brightened up the road ahead. I turned off my engine as I found it difficult to concentrate on the sounds outside of the car with the engine running. And then it was silent. There wasn't a sound, no crickets, noises, or birds flapping their wings. There was not even the sound of the wind blowing. It was like all sound in that moment was non-existent, and it filled me with dread. And then I heard it. Help! Someone cried through the darkness of the forest. Help me! But this voice was distorted, like if someone played it on a record player. It sounded crackly, but faded out towards the end of every cry for help. It was so wrong. 
I jumped out of the car and I tried to focus on what I could see past the trees. My heart was racing. I started to sweat and I was breathing so heavily I felt my heart was coming up through my mouth and I was frozen with blind fear. And then I saw it. It was a man, or so I thought. They were disproportionate with long skinny legs and arms and I saw bright red eyes appear and disappear as if it was blinking and looking straight at me. It seemed to walk or glide towards me with his arms swinging back and forth. I don't know because my head was fuzzy at the time. I felt confused and afraid. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. As it got closer, I could see its face, and this thing was the furthest from human. It had little notable facial features. This creature stopped, and it opened its mouth wide and wider, wider than anything I'd ever seen before, and it let out the most terrifying scream I'd ever heard. It was so loud that it felt like it dug into my very existence and shook me to the core. That was the moment I shook my head and I realized what was going on. Instantly, I jumped into the car and tried to start the engine. My hand was shaking so much, I could barely turn the key. After what seemed like a lifetime, I managed to put the car into first gear, and I drove off. I drive down the road and check my mirror, and that thing is standing in the road, not moving, not making a sound, just standing there. When I got home, I locked all the doors, and I cried for hours until I finally fell asleep. Eventually, someone introduced me to scary horror stories, and I ended up doing my own research. I stumbled upon tales about skinwalkers, and that's what I believe I saw. Whales or not, it could have only been that. I've had nightmares ever since, and I've always thought that one day I will see that thing again. Needless to say, I have not gone near that area ever since. Scratches Outside Submitted by Anika P. I've been living in Cornwall for just over five years now. I've learned and heard of loads of different spirits and monsters in Cornish folklore. Well, I have unfortunately had a few experiences and actually have stories to tell. About four years ago, I learned about the Beast of Bodmin, it is supposedly a large black wild cat who lives on the moors of Bodmin. It's been said to have killed masses of livestock in the early 1900s and has turned its attention to people every once in a while. I've always been interested in cryptozoology, so this kind of thing really grabbed my attention and that's how I began doing my own research. After quite some time, I kind of got bored by the idea when the sighting of this creature began to dry up, so I lost interest in it for a while. Well, that was until I went on a camping trip with my family and some friends. I spent a couple of nights in an open field near the home of these family friends. It was very fun, and we were all having a good time. We just relaxed and shared a few stories by the campfire having drinks. That is, until one of my friends, let's call him Charlie, started telling us about how some of the trees in the neighboring woods had large scratches up them, up to six feet up the trunks, we all threw theories back and forth, and that's when Charlie brought up the beast of Bodmin. Being the scaredy cat I am, I decided to go off to bed and ignore the conversation taking place outside my tent. 
The night was thankfully uneventful, and we woke up early for a hike on the moors. We had been given time to look around standing stones and some other landmarks. Then Charlie took me and my family to a small set of woods. After about ten minutes of walking, we came to a group of trees, most of which had what I thought was claw marks. I knew what he was trying to show us, but both me and my younger brother, let's call him Ali, didn't want to stay around for too long. I'll be honest, I was scared. So after much pushing, my mom, me, and Ali left and we started walking back towards camp. The thought of having a huge man-eating beast practically next door to our camp gave me chills and it made me feel physically sick, nervous. I wanted to just go home. I didn't feel safe out there. On the last day of our camping trip, Ali and I decided we would stay together in the same tent. We were still really scared and did not want to sleep alone. We both lay there and were fast asleep in only a few minutes. My brother was only eight or nine at the time, but I felt a lot more comfortable knowing I had someone by my side. But this temporary feeling of security quickly left. At about two in the morning, I woke up and needed to use the bathroom, so I made my way slowly out of the tent, trying my best to not wake up Ali, and I did my business. To my surprise, I saw the glare of eyes in the torchlight. Now I was half asleep, and I thought it was my dog Bella, so I called her over. But immediately after, I heard this low grumble, and instantly I shut up and reassessed the situation. I realized after a moment, I was looking at a large black shape, not a small white dog. I did not wait around trying to find out what it was going to do. I ran and jumped into the open tent and right onto my sleeping brother. I quickly zipped up the tent and grabbed hold of a now really angry and sleepy-eyed Ali. He later told me that he had been trying to push me away, tried to ask me what was going on, but I guess I wasn't really listening. I spent about half an hour listening out there for the noise again, but thank God it never happened. Ali eventually fell back to sleep, but I knew I wouldn't be able to, not until I was back home and safe. I'd never been so happy as to see the sunrise the next day and to hear my parents waking up. Even still, I could not get the image of this massive black shadow in the woods, a shadow that was twice my size at least. Beast of Bodmin or not, there was some sort of monster in the woods, something that nearly had me cornered in the middle of the night. Anyway, the next day, needless to say, I did not tell anyone. Knowing my family, I knew that if they hadn't seen what I'd seen, then they would not believe me. I didn't even believe me, and I still don't sometimes. Or maybe that's the denial. We got home and I tossed away any thoughts of the camping trip, trying not to remember the creature I saw in the woods. I didn't think I'd ever have to remember or think about that trip again until three nights after our return home. Because I was sitting in bed watching TV, having hot chocolate, when I first heard it, the pat, pat, pat sound of something running back and forth in front of my house. It came again and again, night after night, no matter how much I tried to ignore it. So I observed the sound, and I realized it did not sound anything like a dog or a badger, not even a fox. All of these animals have non-retractable claws, which means I would have heard the sound of claws scraping against the road. 
but I didn't, and it was far too big to have just been a cat. It was very heavy, the padding sound of paws brushing away stones and dirt. When I gathered the courage to look outside, I was struck by the familiar shape. Out on the road was that same silhouette I had seen, a dark figure whose fur blended in with the night, a feline form that was far too big to be any house cat. It was stalking along the road, yellow eyes beaming under the moonlight. Immediately, I stepped away from the window, fear enveloping me. I could hear the sounds continue as I walked away, and they continued for several nights after that. But after a few weeks, it just stopped. I still have no idea what it was to this day, nor will I claim it to be anything. But I know what I heard, and I know what I saw. There is some sort of creature out there, something larger than the natural wildlife, something that looks predatory and dangerous. I'll be sure to keep these events in mind when and if I ever go camping again. And I really hope if anyone comes to Cornwall and goes camping here, that you take my experiences to heart. Just be careful out there. Europe is a vast and diverse continent. Each border comes with such a drastic change in cultures at times. You step away from one nation of rich mythology to step into another that is so much different and often just as terrifying. Needless to say, if you want to live in a place where there's always a new monster to be scared of, Europe is the place to go. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own you want narrated, start by sending it to us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, there's a link to my Patreon in the description, along with a link to my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about five scary bus stop stories. Gato Dogcat says, No, I don't want to wait for my bus in the morning. I used to do that every day for like five years, and it was always cold, no matter the time of year. I hated it. Levi Hart Music says, Your darkness has brought light into my world. Keep it coming. Crazy how darkness does that, and I'm very grateful that it does. Fireshard2Vlog says, Notice me, darkness. I'm lonely. Well, I'm replying just because you have a really cool profile picture. Very Wendigo-esque. The RJL25 says, I'm glad I got my driver's license. Yay, now you get to pay for gas for the rest of your life. And Kojo3Official says, If there was a horror convention, tickets for your show would be sold out fast. Love your stuff. I was actually requested to attend a horror convention once. I got a paid weekend to go as well, me and my wife. But due to anxiety, I didn't attend. I wasn't really ready to open up a booth or anything. So maybe one day. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one.
Creepy creatures and critters aren't the only things spooking people in the woods. There are also spirits and other ethereal entities that aren't part of our world, yet can often reach out and touch you whenever they please. These beings come in all shapes and sizes and inclinations. Sometimes they won't even look in your direction. On the other hand, some unlucky folks claim to have been attacked. So enjoy these five terrifying encounters that took place in haunted forests. If you want your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. My Middle School Field Trip Horror Story from Anonymous I live in Canada, Ontario. I was 12 years old. I was going on a field trip to this place called Taquania, and as soon as we arrived there in the school bus, I had this terrible vibe about the place. When you drive in to your right is a small wooded area, taking at least five minutes to run to the end of. To your left, though, is a building the size of a small school. It sounds big, but it really isn't. Beside that is a field, and past that is an even bigger forest. The first thing that happened was when me and my best friend, O, were playing a game. Our whole class was joining in. The game was called Predator and Prey. The prey wore green pins and the predators wore blue. The prey is supposed to hide from anything that's not wearing the same color as you. Now, me and O were taking selfies on my phone. We were prey at the time, so we were hiding behind a tree Another one of our friends, named H, found us and took us to this hiding spot at the far back of the small forest. This spot was really hard to find if you don't know where you're heading. When we got there, it was a nice little spot to hide in, a perfect little hideout. It was surrounded by tall grass and wheat, and there was a huge pile of hay that looked like a huge nest. A couple of minutes passed since we made it to the spot, we were beginning to get bored just sitting there and decided to head back. We weren't even sure if the game was still going. The way we came, we see someone in the distance, now still wanting to play the game. We figured they were coming to find us, and we didn't want to lose. So me, H, and O turned the other way to run. But two other friends who had found us, N and E, caught us and told us the game was over. When I asked them who was the person we saw in the distance, Anne answered, confused. I don't know what you mean. We're the last predators. Everyone else went back. That was definitely odd, especially when I looked back a second later and the figure was gone. It shouldn't have been able to disappear that fast, whoever it was. After this, we were all having our free time outside, exploring, talking, or playing other games. Well, we ended up playing a similar game called Manhunt. I'm hiding in the small forest. I'm in a little row of trees to the left of the forest, just walking and trying to stay covered, until I suddenly hear leaves crunching behind me. I jump because it was so sudden it startled me, and I thought that I was caught. But when I turned and looked behind me, I was alone. I turn around and start speed walking to get out of there, but the moment I turned away, the leaves began crunching again. Every time I look, there's no one there. After this happening a few times, I'm terrified. 
I start running, and that's when the crunching sounds speed up, as if whoever or whatever it is following me has started running too. I'm being chased by something that I can't even see. I run until I'm out of the forest. The moment I break the tree line, the crunching footsteps go silent. It was so strange and creepy. A little bit after this, I decided to rejoin the game as it was still going, and I'm beginning to feel better after that event. I begin walking back to the forest when I see someone up ahead of me, someone still wearing a blue pin, even though we weren't playing that game anymore. I suddenly stop, and so does the figure. I remember cocking my head to the side in confusion, and the figure did the same thing. After a few more movements that it shared with me, I realized that this person or figure was just mocking what I did, mirroring my movements perfectly. I turned my head for a moment to see if anyone was around me that I could show this bizarre thing to. Then I turned back, and the figure was gone. Suddenly, W, a friend of mine, comes walking out of the bushes, and I ask him if that was him. He looks at me funny, saying that he had just been found in the woods, so he was coming back since he was out now. To make things even better, we began to hear what sounded like an old man screaming for his life. It erupted from the middle of the woods. Both W and I got chills, then began to make our way back to the main building. Strange things continued to happen on that field trip the entire time we were there. More noises, black figures at the edge of the woods, more people being in our group when we played than were actually there. Something was hanging out with us when we were out there. Something was toying with us. Or maybe it wanted to play too. It was absolutely eerie. I was happy when we were able to finally go home. Denmark Ghost Story from Anonymous I was raised in a house in a small town in Denmark, located in a big forest. I really enjoyed playing in the woods as a kid. We had no neighbors living close to us, so I had to entertain myself growing up. One day while playing in the woods, I was climbing a tree when the branch I was leaning on snapped and I fell to the ground head first. I was out cold for a long time. I'm not sure exactly how long, though. When I woke up, the sun was down, and everything was dark. I was scared, and I immediately knew my parents would be worried. I usually came home long before dark, so I began to head back to my house with a headache. As I stated before, I often played in these woods, so I became quite uncomfortable when I realized that I didn't recognize my surroundings. I was lost. The forest seemed different, and even though I wasn't used to being in the woods after dark, I didn't think I recognized this place at all. It was like I woke up somewhere else entirely. I began to realize that the forest was unusually quiet then. At night here, you'd expect to hear birds or bugs or both, and usually quite a bit of wind. But I heard nothing, not even the sound of leaves or branches crumbling under my feet. I couldn't smell anything either. 
I enjoyed the scent of the forest immensely, but I couldn't smell a thing. I attributed this to my head injury, making me worry even more about my own health. However, I could feel a constant cold breeze, even though the breeze made no sound of movement through the forest. As the breeze blew over me, I felt a desire to go back to the tree that I had fallen from, but I had no idea why. I kept walking and soon saw a light in the distance. At first it was dim, but as I drew closer, I saw that it was the light from our house. I was overjoyed. I would have run to the house then if it weren't for my aching head making me feel dizzy. I made it past the tree line and immediately felt another eerie cold sensation rush over my body. I panicked then, ready to just get home. I stumbled as fast as I could to my front door, and when I was just outside it, I heard a noise behind me. The first sound I'd heard the entire time after I woke up. It was coming from the woods that I had just left. I turned, and what I saw horrified me. I saw myself standing at the edge of the woods, just 300 feet away from where I was now in front of my door. But that didn't make sense. It couldn't be me. So who or what was it? I felt so disoriented. I was unable to move. I wanted more than anything to turn and run into the house, but I was paralyzed. The other me was staring right at me, and every fiber I had told me to go inside now. I mustered all my strength, but all I could do was lift my left hand slightly. I could not stop gazing towards the other me. It was like I was drawn towards it. I saw that it mirrored what I did, lifting its left hand slightly as well. I felt sick and terrified then, and then it happened. The other me began to walk towards me. It began sprinting right at me even though I still could not move. I could only stand there and watch it get closer to me. It stopped the moment it was about six feet away. It looked exactly like me. It even had a red spot on its forehead, exactly where I'd hit the ground. But there was one major difference. Our eyes. His were black, empty, like it was soulless. Like it was just my body, without anything meaningful inside. It stared at me for a while with its totally empty eyes. I began to tremble then tears running down my face, but no matter how much I wanted to scream or move, I was unable to do so. Then, it sprinted towards me, jamming right into me, and everything turned completely dark. When I came to, I was below the tree that I'd fallen from earlier. There were no sounds and scents just as before, and it was still dark. Luckily, the thing that attacked me was nowhere to be seen, and I could right away see the dim light of my house far away. Flooding with fear, I picked myself up and began running towards the light. When I crossed the tree line, I could see my house in full detail, and when I made it to the door, I reached for the doorknob, but I could not open it. The knob just kept spinning around. Then I heard the sound again. Footsteps. The doorknob turned and the front door opened. 
I saw my mother, and I was so relieved. I tried walking towards her and in through the threshold, but my body could no longer move. I tried to talk to my mom, but no sound was escaping my mouth. I looked at her, but she did not seem to recognize me. Actually, she didn't seem to notice me at all. Instead, her eyes were scanning the perimeter behind me, beyond me, before she closed the door in my face. I tried opening the door again, but the doorknob kept spinning just as before. I heard my father yell angrily from inside. I couldn't make out the words, but he sounded upset. I felt so confused, so afraid. What was happening to me? My house, my parents, and everything I knew seemed to be in another world, yet so close. I walked over to the window of my own room, hoping that I could climb in through it. When I reached the window and I looked inside, I saw my empty bed with a lot of pictures of me lying in it, and then I saw a candlelight in my room. I'm from Denmark, and you only put those kinds of candles in a room if the person who had resided in it was deceased. I felt nauseous. I wanted to throw up. What was happening? Why couldn't I get into my own house? Why did they think I was dead? Why didn't they come looking for me? All of a sudden, I noticed that I couldn't see my own reflection in the glass of the window. I looked tensely into it, desperately looking for my own reflection, when I saw a figure instead. The figure was standing further away than I was, so this wasn't my reflection. Chills running down my back, I turned around to face it. Standing in the tree line was a tall, human-shaped figure with a cloth covering its entire face. The only thing visible were two glowing red eyes. The thing must have been seven feet tall, and it began walking towards me. No, it didn't walk, though. It floated. I ran from it, knowing that whatever that thing was, it wasn't right. I ran for what felt like years, and then I woke up. I was on the ground in the woods again. I turned over, vomiting my guts out on the ground. I picked myself up and began to stumble again, walking towards my house, towards that dim light in the distance. I knew deep down that when I would turn that doorknob, it wouldn't move. But when it did, and the door opened, and my mother hugged me, I wanted to faint then and there, overcome with joy. I don't know what happened to me that day. I want to assume it was just an odd head injury, some hallucinations, maybe a dream, but it was so real. Another part of me thinks that perhaps I died in those woods that day, and my soul or spirit found a timeline where I survived. But what was that tall thing in the woods? That's all so confusing. I'd rather not think about it. A Terrifying Encounter from Anonymous Sometime in the beginning of 2018, I considered myself a skeptic at best of anything paranormal. That all changed quickly 
after my friends and I had an idea of some fun. Now, despite my skepticism, I've still always been interested in the paranormal and occult. So one thing I took interest in was witchcraft, especially pendulums. A pendulum is a stalagmite-like stone that hangs from a metal chain and is supposedly a way of communicating with your spirit guide. You're supposed to have them cleansed, though, so you don't end up speaking to something sinister, something that you'd rather not have in your life. Interest in such items had made me a new friend named G. G had been studying the paranormal and witchcraft long before me. G lived in a gated community a few miles south of myself, and this community had a forest within it. It was considered a genuine Native American burial ground. G introduced me to this place as part of an attempt to change my opinion on the paranormal, which gave me an idea. Now also at this time I met a girl on Tinder. She was also very interested in witchcraft. Her name was B. So B, G, and I all decided to meet up around 10 p.m. one night with all the witchcraft and paranormal related equipment we had ready to speak to spirits in G's little haunted forest. G and I had another lovely friend named T, who we brought along as well. The lot of us met at the local train station, did some introductions, and took a little walk. After that, we split up, taking B's car and my van to G's house. We arrived there around midnight, and after prepping our equipment, we set off for the short walk to the burial ground. Before entering, B lit up a palm-sized bundle of sage and told us that if the flames enlarge at any time, it means a spirit or entities within a certain proximity of us, and we may need to leave it alone. I raised an eyebrow at this, but I was all the more curious. Not even ten minutes into the walk, the little bundle of sage practically torched itself within seconds. We all stopped right there when B told us frantically, That's... that's a demon. Now G was a little bit of the cowardly type, so he grabbed T out of instinctive fear, while B and I glanced at each other and slowly backtracked toward the forest exit, G and T behind us. We didn't want to cut our journey short, though, so we went the other way in hopes of something less intimidating occurring. B proposed that we approach this in a more cautious manner, placing her at the front of the group and myself in the back, as I was considered the more capable one at the moment, being lightly armed, and could keep a lookout for us. Another few minutes into this journey, G proposed we stop and talk so he could try to ease himself of the anxiousness he claimed to be feeling. As he was ranting about whatever it was he felt was wrong, I glanced back where we came from and noticed a short, child-sized figure that was darker than the shadows cast by the trees, standing not ten feet from me. My immediate reaction was to blink rapidly and squint, thinking that the shadows were being altered by the wind. This wasn't the case, as I continued to stare at it while it stared back at me. I'm not much of one for spastic reactions, so I calmly turned around abruptly interrupting the group's conversation and informing them of what I just saw. B told me to take out my pendulum immediately and speak to it. Reluctantly, I did so, as the pendulum does not utter words, only yes and no based on a certain motion attuned to the user. 
I asked this entity if it was displeased with us for being here. It seemed to say yes. B told me to ask it if it would like us to leave, and despite me being the user and B simply relaying the question, it spun in a rapid circle, signaling another and more aggressive yes. We all simultaneously began rapidly walking back to the exit, not wanting to be harmed by whatever this thing was. Unsatisfied with the events, we discussed what we might do next in order to satiate our curiosity. I remained in the back of the group, feeling that something wasn't right, occasionally glancing back at the forest as if it were a necessity. When we were roughly 200 yards away, I took another look behind us and froze. I noticed a bright orange light that was similar to the light of the sun rising over trees in the earliest of the morning. Considering it was just past 1 a.m., that would be impossible. I strained my eyes in an attempt to make sense of what I was looking at while informing the group about it. They stopped as well and looked with me. Puzzled sounds came from their mouths. By the time I realized what it was, it was nearly too late. It was the same entity I alone spotted before, running full sprint at us at an impossible speed except it was increasing in size as it got closer, reaching around 8 or 9 feet by the time it was 15 yards from us. My immediate reaction was to scream run and bolt past everyone else, not wanting to be grabbed by this phantom monstrosity. G began crying while him, T, and B quickly attempted to sprint away from what would most likely be our end. We did not stop running until we got to G's house, and decided we had enough for the night. This encounter definitely changed my feelings and opinion on the paranormal, and I've got a newfound respect for the entities that inhabit it. The Unknown Intruder from Anonymous I was home alone at my dad's house. I hated staying there on my own. My dad had gone to the train station to pick someone up, and so I had to stay on my own for the next two hours. Considering the time was around 10 p.m. and halfway through November, it was already well into the night and very cold. As staying alone in this house out in the woods always creeped me out, I turned on a movie to take my mind off of things. Now, we had these two sheds in the garden, both of which were ancient, but I would always hear noises at night. Loud bangs, scraping sounds, and other mysterious noises, always coming from those sheds or the garden, but I tried not to dwell on it. Everything was fine that night, until I heard a loud bang come from outside. It sounded like it was coming from one of the sheds. I slowly and quietly crawled from the living room to a window, viewing the back garden, and my stomach dropped. I could see a tall, dark shadow standing in front of the forest, looking around and slowly walking towards our house. I hid for a minute, but every second that passed felt more like an hour, my heart racing. Eventually, I peeked out at one of the windows down the hallway and saw the all-too-tall figure peering inside. It saw me looking at it, then darted away off the property. I stayed hidden for a bit longer but I heard nothing else. I never saw the figure again, and I'm glad. 
but I'm even more terrified of staying home alone anymore. Ghostly Warning from Chain Gang 357 When I was a child at about seven years old, I was living in a small town called Wilkeson in Washington State. We lived on the outskirts in a decent-sized neighborhood surrounded by woods. Being close to Mount Rainier, it was quite rural. I lived in a two-story house with my window facing the driveway and front yard. In my room, I just got a bunk bed and thought it was the coolest thing because I could see out my window while I was in bed. About a week after I got the bunk bed, I woke up in the middle of the night having to use the bathroom. As I made my way to the ladder, I looked out my window and saw two people outside on the lawn. I climbed down and I jumped on the cabinet that was in front of the window for a better look at the people. As I looked out, I saw two women standing at the edge of my driveway, staring at my lawn and talking to each other. The weird thing was, where they were pointing was where my black lab liked to lay down. I knocked on my window trying to get their attention and find out what they wanted. In unison, they slowly turned their heads and looked at me. Their faces were gray-white and blank of any expression. I realized then that their clothes were weird, like something people would wear a long time ago, and they didn't have any color on them either. I jumped down from the cabinet, and I saw them turn their heads back and stare at the same spot. I woke up my mother and told her about the people in our driveway. We were outside in a couple of minutes, and by then the ladies were gone with no trace of them at all. Fast forward three weeks, I woke up again in the middle of the night. Now since that first night I saw those women, I had dreaded getting up to go to the bathroom, but every time I was relieved when I didn't see them. One night, however, I got up and I saw them again. I climbed up on the cabinet and this time they were already looking right at me. Both of their faces were different this time. Their eyes were solid black and they were both frowning. In unison, they lifted up their arms and pointed at my lawn. There in the lawn was my lab. He was sleeping. My dad had let him out when he left for work. I ran and got my mom and told her about the ladies and my dog. We went downstairs and opened the front door. My dog had just started barking when we walked out on the front porch. The ladies were already gone again, but this time a guy was running at my lab with a stick trying to hit him. When he saw us, he turned away and ran. After that day, we made sure my dad didn't let my dog out, and I never saw the ladies again. It may have been scary to see those ladies, but maybe, just maybe, they were actually looking out for my dog. I was 14 years old. My family and I had just moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania. I explored our new house, and the place immediately felt evil. Dark, I guess. Like someone was always watching you. Someone angry. Someone who didn't want us there. I tried to brush it off, because what else was I going to do? This was our new home. Maybe I should have at least told someone. After our first week, we were finally beginning to feel comfortable. 
until that night. I woke up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water. It was then that I saw a dark figure standing at the foot of my bed. I froze immediately. I was terrified. There's something about seeing a human figure that you weren't expecting to see, especially in the middle of the night. The figure, which I think was facing away from me, began to turn around. Before he could face me, I quickly laid back down and placed my head underneath the covers. I did not want him to see me. I did not want him to know that I was awake. Suddenly, there came a loud bang that was enough for me to gather up the courage to dart out of the room right into my mother's room. I told her that there was a figure in my room. I'll never forget the look of fear on her face. She let me sleep in her bed, but in the morning when we talked about it, she admitted to feeling a dark presence about this place. It was a relief knowing that I wasn't the only one. The next day that I was at school, she had the house blessed, but I don't think it worked. The following night, I skipped right to sleeping in my mom's room, but we were both awakened by the sound of breaking glass. We both jumped up together. I quickly turned on the light, and then the rest of the lights throughout our home came on. I have no idea how that happened. We quickly made our way to the kitchen. What we saw there horrified us and shook our whole family. My cat was in the floor surrounded by glass. She was gone. But what was strange and creepy was the fact that the broken glass came from the nearby cabinets and there was blood on the broken shards. It was like someone took our cat and broke the glass with the poor thing. For the next two years, we did everything we could to discover the past about this place, to figure out why things like this were happening, and hoping that this thing would not attack us. We did find some information about this house's past. Apparently, a boy and his father were killed here, in this very house. Thank God by then we were already planning to move soon, because after hearing that, I had trouble sleeping, and I was terrified that I would see the figure at my bed again. I'm 16 now. We have a new, quiet home, but I still have nightmares about that figure, and I worry that one day I'll find my beloved pets meeting another gruesome fate. The McDonald's Creep from Cooper When I was four years old, living in Salt Lake City, my family went to McDonald's to eat, and as children always do, we wanted to go to the play area. My dad relented and soon followed us over there so he could watch us. After a while, though, my dad soon took note of another man in the play area. He appeared to be doing something on his phone. The guy was in his late twenties or early thirties. When he saw the man point the phone at me, click a button, 
and then pointed the phone at my sister. My dad grew aggravated and went to confront the man. He asked what he was doing. The guy simply said that he was with his daughter at the play area. Thing is, we were the only kids there at the time. It was more like that guy had been waiting on us, and that was not okay, especially to my dad. I know he probably shouldn't have, but my dad took the guy's phone as fast as he could and got a look at the screen. His instincts were right. There were pictures of me and my sister on his phone. Pictures angled towards our legs and buttocks. This guy was in fact a sicko, waiting to take pictures of children in the play area. I wonder how many other kids he had taken pictures of until my dad confronted him. My dad threw his phone on the ground, trying to shatter it, but the thing was pretty sturdy. The man quickly grabbed his phone from the ground and stormed out of the building. Of course, no daughter followed, because he had lied. I don't really remember this experience. I was only four at the time, so that's no surprise. But if it's true, it gives me a feeling of being violated, makes me feel dirty, and glad that my dad did something about it. I wonder how ballsy the man would have been if my dad had decided not to follow us and watch us play. Ugh, still gives me the heebie-jeebies. Jennifer from Jenanigans. This happened a long time ago, when I was eight years old. I grew up in a split household, spending the week with mom and weekends with my dad and stepmom. I have a huge family, being the third oldest of nine children. So it's safe to say I was never really alone, and I never needed many friends because I always had at least three siblings around me at all times. With that being said, I also had an imaginary friend. But unlike a normal imaginary friend scenario, my imaginary friend came around when I was around eight. It was right around the time when my dad and stepmom got married. My parents always thought me being as old as I was with an imaginary friend was a little weird. But they didn't want to crush a small child's dreams and heart. They didn't say much about it. After all, I was a sensitive child, and I always got my feelings hurt quite easy. I remember this like yesterday. It was a warm summer afternoon. My stepmom, grandma, four of my siblings, and I all went out to lunch. After we finished eating we decided to go to the park where the kids could wear ourselves out for a while, and the adults could talk about family or whatever grown-up things they talk about. I remember playing on the swings by myself, as my other siblings seemed to prefer the slide and monkey bars. They would always try to see who could cross them first, almost like a little race. But since I was older than them, I just kept to myself and let them have their fun. I was swinging alone for about 15 minutes before my stepmom noticed me talking to someone that wasn't there. She yelled for me to come over, so I did. She asked me, Ah, uh, sweetie, who are you talking to? I looked around and told her, I don't know her name, but I can ask. 
Confused and slightly concerned, she said, Okay, looking back at her mother for reassurance. I skipped back over to the swing, smiling and excited to find out my new friend's name. I walked over, set on the swing I was on before, and I began to swing back and forth. I remember looking over toward this little girl. She was about my height, with long curly brown hair and a pretty blue dress. What's your name? I asked. Jennifer, she replied. After introducing myself, too, we sat swinging until it was time to go home. After that, we dropped our grandma off. Then we said our goodbyes and went home. Later that night, my stepmom comes in our room and tucks me and my sisters into bed. She kisses us. Then we said our nightly prayers. I then asked her why she didn't tuck Jennifer in. She looked confused, then said to me, Sorry, I must have forgot. Then pretended to tuck in someone lying right next to me. That day began the most confusing and enlightening time in my life. It was around then that I began to experience strange and unexplainable things. A few weeks later, school just started again. I met some new kids in my class, and things were going really well for me. I was excited but not so much for Jennifer. She couldn't come to my school for some reason. She couldn't play with my new friends. She didn't like the fact that I wasn't playing much with her anymore. But there wasn't much I could do. I had to go to school. I asked her to come with me one day, and that seemed to make her happier. The weeks that followed weren't nearly as exciting, but I did begin losing sleep. Steadily, I was paying less and less attention to school, and I wasn't social with anyone else besides Jennifer. My parents blamed it on a sudden move, as I did have to move in with my dad full-time recently, due to some troubles at my mom's house. But I knew it was Jennifer. She became really controlling, not wanting me to be friends with anyone else but her. She would often keep me up half the night begging me to play with her. I don't think she ever actually slept herself. I was honestly terrified of saying no to her, so I would simply play along. Two months of this go by, and my parents were confused by my recent attitude change. I'd always been a good kid, pouty and sensitive, but good. So as a way to take my mind off of it, they decided to take me to the park one day. The same park where I'd met Jennifer. But she didn't like that at all. Jennifer told me that something bad would happen if we went to the park. I tried to ask her why, but she insisted that she just didn't want to go. This scared the crap out of me as a kid, so I began crying, refusing to get in the car but my parents basically forced me to go. I cried the entire way, fearing the worst. We made it halfway to the park, but nothing happened. My hopes began to look up, and I was feeling at ease again. But then, the worst did happen. A car came from behind us, speeding. They didn't see our vehicle. They hit us from behind hard. Fortunately, there were no major injuries, 
but it was quite scary, and everyone was shaken up. Things could have been a lot worse if it wasn't for my dad, who turned the moment the man hit us. If it weren't for that, our car would have been sandwiched between the man in front of us and the man behind us, possibly killing everyone in the car. After a few more strange incidents like that, I began to tell my parents what Jennifer said, what she would predict, and they strangely started to believe. It may sound crazy, but I definitely believe that Jennifer has saved our lives more than once, even if that's not what she was trying to do. As the years went by, I had trouble seeing Jennifer anymore, and eventually she just vanished. To this day, I'm still haunted with deep feelings inside my stomach that may or may not be the residual from her time spent with me. Anytime I get that pit-of-the-stomach feeling, I just stay inside and listen to my internal Jennifer. There was something I failed to mention. The very day at the park that I met Jennifer and we brought Grandma home, that very afternoon was the day my Grandma had a baby girl, but she passed away the day after she brought her home. That was twenty years ago, and Grandma had already picked out a name. Jennifer. Jennifer Renee. My Old Basement From Wolf is Howling 1 This happened eight years ago. I was ten years old at the time. I've moved away from this house since then because the rent was too high. Way back when I was ten, I lived in a rental house that I thought was haunted. Being a kid, I was weird, and I was a huge believer in the paranormal. But before I say what I want to say, I do believe I had a paranormal experience. It was the third week I had moved into that house. I was on the top floor grabbing some clothes so I could go somewhere. I grabbed the shirt that I needed, and I was walking past my desk. Once I got to the doorway, I heard this noise. I was alone in the house at the time. No one was in there except for me and my cat. Creeped out, I grabbed my cat for safety, and together we walked back into the room. It was then that I saw the desk cabinet was now closed, even though I had just opened it and left it that way. I began to back out of that room, more creeped out than before, but not horrified. Not until I saw the desk cabinet slam open. There was absolutely no way to explain that action away. It was like someone angry was standing in front of the desk and just yanked it wide open, nearly shattering the front of it. It was so sudden, so loud and so violent, that I dropped the cat and the two of us ran downstairs at a breakneck speed. Ugh, that was the worst. Or so I thought. On the last day that I lived in that creepy house, I had a next-door neighbor that had kids, specifically a 16-year-old and a 9-year-old. We often played together, and on that day in particular, their 16-year-old daughter, Rena, and her boyfriend, 
we're hanging out. At one point, Rena asked my dad if we could go into our haunted basement. I didn't like her saying that. Talking about the paranormal anymore made me remember that time with the desk. But I ignored it, and being peer pressured, I decided to join them. The moment we entered that basement, I felt extremely cold and claustrophobic. I ended up basically tucking myself behind Rena's boyfriend as we walked down the steps. I nearly cried, and I couldn't stop thinking about what I witnessed not too long ago. But then, my worst nightmare came true. I felt a hand, five cold fingers, grasp around my ankle and pull. I screamed immediately, pushing away from Rita's boyfriend and nearly making him tumble down into the basement. I turned and ran as fast as I possibly could. Now full-fledged crying and screaming, I ran back to my room and locked myself in. I knew going down into that basement was a bad idea. But luckily, I did not have to be in that house any longer. I don't know what lurked in that house, but I do know that it seemed to enjoy scaring me. Terror in a Vegas Household from Seaman 710 I moved out of a house about three years ago, and now that I finally have, I'm convinced my house was haunted by multiple spirits. I'll describe exactly what drew me to this conclusion. When I was around seven or eight years old, I had my first distinct memory of the haunting. My aunt and uncle were visiting one morning, I saw what I thought was my uncle stepping into the room downstairs. Now, you should know that my uncle and I regularly play pranks on one another. So when I followed him and found that the door was now closed, I decided to use this opportunity to scare him. I opened up the doors just a bit, trying to be quiet so I could get the jump on him. But when I opened that door, even slightly, I found two amber eyes glaring back at me. Then something yanked the door from me and slammed it in my face. I was startled, but I stood up and tried to open it. When the door was open fully now, I looked into the room and found that that room and the bathroom adjacent to it were entirely empty. There was no sign that anyone had been in there, let alone my uncle. For a long time after that, I was terrified of going into that room. My next experience that truly spooked me, and I'm convinced it was real, was when I was in college. My then-girlfriend and I were making out on the couch in my sitting room. I had a bedroom with two rooms. Suddenly, she looked up at me and asked if my house was haunted. This took me by surprise. I asked her why she said that, after honestly admitting that I think it was. She says she saw a ghost, or rather a ball of light moving past the nearby doorframe leading to my bed. I laugh it off, thinking she's trying to spook me. But she dared me to take a picture of it. So, trying to show her there was nothing to worry about so it could get back to business, I went to the closet and took a picture in the mirror, which reflected the area she had seen the ball. 
what I saw chilled me. The most I was expecting was maybe a wisp of light, but what showed up in that photo was a tall man. He was standing next to me, with arms crossed and a rather harsh look on his face. At first, we believed it to be my grandfather, but when my mother saw the picture, she did not see him in it. To this day, none of us know who the man really was, but I hope him to be a friendly spirit. Later that same night, my girlfriend and I were hanging out downstairs in the living room. She is mentioning how she lives in a haunted house too, and she begins to relate her experiences to me. She said how she has a little girl ghost who follows her around. We start to goof off, and I decide to take more pictures. She says she thinks she sees her through one of the windows, and I laugh, thinking she's trying to scare me again or joke about it. So I go up to the window, and I take a picture. The moment I do, there's a thump on the glass, like someone had slapped it. I freaked out and jumped away. After that, I came back to the window to see if I could catch something again. Sure enough, the picture from my cell phone showed the outline of a little girl. My next experience that was worth noting took place a few days after, when a friend and her boyfriend were visiting. We were all in the living room. I tell my friend about the other day and show her the picture of what is either my grandfather or just another man. She freaks out, and her boyfriend passes it off, laughing about it. Everyone reacts differently. Later on, we watch a movie together, when all of a sudden, her boyfriend would not sit still. He was trembling with goosebumps, unable to get comfortable, and he was getting fidgety. It was completely out of nowhere, and was beginning to creep us all out. All at once, he decided to leave. As it turns out, he ended up not being a very good guy, and this friend of mine had visited often enough that I believe it was the ghost, whether it was my grandpa or someone else, affecting him. This is the reason why I think that ghost may have been friendly, as maybe he knew that this guy was not the best. But whatever that thing was with the amber eyes, that was an entirely different story. When we were moving around Halloween that year, as the last big thing, I had my friends over for a movie night. We watched all the classics. One of my friends, who was their first time visiting this house, asked, So this place is haunted, right? He had heard the stories from my other friends and I. I began to recount those stories for him, about the one when I was a small kid and the amber eyes. I tell him basically I don't like going in that room, and that this whole place can be very unsettling. So he decides, claiming he's somewhat in tune with the spirit world, to lead us all inside to see if we saw anything. I immediately thought that was a bad idea. It was harmless enough at first. We were cutting up, having a good time, pointing out cold spots, which was probably just from the AC. Nothing out of the ordinary. But then, someone starts screaming, Get out! Get out of here now! It was out of nowhere and so loud. We begin to scramble out of the room in a hurry. I demand to know who said that, and then ask them why they said that. 
They said that they had kicked something and looked down and saw a human skull in the ground. Freaked out, I went inside again and turned on the lights. But there was nothing, just a blank area where they claimed to have felt and seen the skull. But I believed them. Now, the downstairs was truly the hub for creepy spirits, but the ones upstairs were more directed towards mischief, and some of it centered around my bedroom. One such series of incidents in my room was the door-slamming incident. I had a bedroom that was basically two connected rooms, one I slept in, and one that was a leisure room with my couch and desk. Right outside the door, there was an open area that was essentially my dad's office. Quite frequently, starting when we had knocked down part of the wall to connect the rooms, strange things began to happen, specifically to the door in my leisure room. The most frequent of these happenings was my door randomly slamming shut, without a breeze at all, without any sort of help, without even a draft. This really freaked me out. But I would never think much of it until my dad would, without fail, come over and ask why my door was locked. Sure enough, each time the door would be locked, but I never even touched that door, as I always entered my room from the bedroom end. My dad would often tell me that I would just close the door and forget about it, but he was wrong. I never locked that door. It just wasn't something I did. There was an occasion where I was on the couch in my leisure room. I looked over moments before the door slammed and saw what I could best describe as a faint outline of a small child running away. It looked like a little boy around six or seven and was accompanied by an otherworldly giggle. As I said, I've since left that house. I never again have experienced ghostly activity at my new home. I genuinely think about all of these experiences often, probably daily. And even now, I truly wonder what dark secrets may lay below the foundation of that home. Maybe if you dig deep enough, you'll find that skull. Thanks for listening to Darkness Prevails. Here's to hoping you don't have any trouble falling asleep. If you do, I apologize. But sometimes nightmares are beautiful. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story and you want it told, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check my links below. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate, and a link to my merch store where you can get some creepy cool merchandise that supports the show. Now then, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, titled, Something is Eating Our Cats, Five True Horror Stories. Ami Salami says, Ham Salami. Okay. Linda F. says, Hope you're feeling better. Thank you for the videos. I'm feeling great again. The sore throat is slowly going away and I can swallow like a champion. Yeah, that sounded wrong. Bravo Uno 420 says, It's probably Alf eating all the cats. I always forget Alf was a show. What a weird little puppet. Hannah Elizabeth says, 
all curled up in bed with some tea. It's getting dark and nice and windy out. Add this video, and it's a perfect end to the day. Dang, that sounds good. What kind of tea you drinking? I love me some Earl Grey. I went to a tea place once and asked for iced Earl Grey tea, and they thought I was psycho. And Makia McLilly says, I'm mad early, but all I know is that whatever happens, these things better stay the flip away from my baby, my dog. Okay? Okay. That's freaking right. Some people these days still don't understand that the furry babies are still our babies, and I'll fight tooth and nail to protect them. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Nightmares seeping into real life. Demonic creatures breaking into people's homes. Haunted places that will have you believing that you're in the underworld. Today's episode is full of creepy tales that you don't want to miss. Encounters that you'll pray you never experience yourself. So cross your fingers, hoping that you stay safe and normal after you catch these allegedly true horror stories of the supernatural. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darknessprevails.org. Yeah, the website is back up, where you can listen to the podcast, submit your stories, and read other people's stories. Now, on to the show. That Old Louisiana House, from Kaylee G. Years ago in Louisiana... I was staying with my friends in an old house in the middle of nowhere. Back then, nothing scared me too much. I used to believe that there wasn't anything that I couldn't handle myself. But at the time, I needed a place to stay and my options were limited. But what are friends for? Now, this house was very well known for being haunted. But I didn't believe it. I didn't believe in the supernatural didn't believe in mysterious creatures or the paranormal. But that would soon change for me when I finally saw for myself what could happen when you mess with things you don't understand. It took no time at all for things to go awry. Pictures falling out of nowhere, noises throughout the house, cabinets flying open and dishes falling out of the cabinets. For a long time, I would blame it on things like the house shifting or being off balance. Something like that. You might be thinking if the dishes flying around the kitchen wasn't enough for me to say, screw this, then what would be? Well, me and my friends had the genius idea to hold a seance in the house. We did the whole shebang. A darkened room, candles all around, holding hands in a circle. I thought it was funny. But many of us were taking it seriously. 
We tried speaking to the so-called spirit. And I remember making a joke, something along the lines of, If I died right now, I would teach you a lesson. Again, it was really just a joke to me, and I didn't believe any of it. But I now know that what I said pissed something off. Because moments after this, the candle's flames began to flicker like crazy, and the loudest roar echoed around us. When everything went quiet again, we all sat there for the next two or three minutes, before even more terrifying noises began. It sounded like something huge was walking down the hallway. Something that big wouldn't even fit in the hallway. As these footsteps began to approach us, we all ran out of the house terrified, even me. After that experience, my friends were convinced to move out, and I was convinced that some things you just can't explain. After all, maybe there is something beyond our own world, beyond this dimension. And sometimes, they get angry. If I learned anything from this experience, it would be it's best not to mock what you don't understand. I Saw a Black-Eyed Boy From Sandy F. It was August 2006. I was living in a nice little town called Phoenixville. At the time, I shared an apartment with someone. It had a nice yard and a beautiful tree in that yard. So it wasn't uncommon for kids to come by, asking to play in the yard and climb the tree. Nothing wrong with that, I suppose. But one evening, one child is etched into my mind forever. I was in the kitchen that night when I heard a knock on the screen door. I looked out the window first to see who it was. What I saw was a small child. What I noticed first was that I didn't recognize the kid, and he was wearing a gray hoodie with the hood up. When I went to the door to greet him, the first thing I said was, It's a little hot for a hoodie, don't you think? He didn't reply to this. Instead, he just stared at the ground. I began to feel nervous, so I said, If you're here to play, go ahead. I don't mind. But as I was turning around to let him go about his business, he said something. No. I need to come inside. I need to use the bathroom. Can I come inside? This sent chills down my spine. I turned around and saw that he was closer to the screen door now. I nervously said, I apologize, but I don't let people I don't know in the house. Please go use the bathroom at your house, or at least ask one of the neighbors, but you can't use it here. But he insisted, You have to let me in. Invite me inside. Just before I began to approach the doorway to shut the door, he said without looking up, Don't shut it. I froze. That's when he lifted up his head. I could see his short black hair, unnaturally pale skin, 
and enormous black eyes. I felt like I stared at him for an eternity, until my cat shook me out of my stupor by hissing and growling at the door. I took the moment to shut the door as fast as I could. I locked it before the boy began to pound on the door, harder than a child that small could. I began to shout that I was calling 911. Then he stopped, and I think he left. But he left something behind. Something that made me extremely paranoid and nervous at all times. I was so scared of leaving the apartment for the next month that I didn't. I would ask friends or family to bring me food or groceries. When I finally had the courage again to leave my home, for the next few months after that, I always felt like I was being watched. I decided to put a sign up in my yard, letting people know that they could no longer enter my yard. I had nightmares for the next four years, too. I would always see that kid in my head every night. We would be in some playground. He would look at me and ask why I didn't let him in. I never saw the kid again, but the fear is still here even after all these years. I do not know what he was or why he affected me so. I don't know if I could take it if I opened my door again and saw him standing there. Early Morning Skinwalker from Cody S. This is a story from my childhood. I was ten and my little sister was nine. I had an encounter that horrified me, and every time I tried to tell someone, they would tell me I was a child with an overactive imagination. But now, even as an adult, I know these stories to be true. It all started when my little sister began to say she was seeing and hearing things. She said that she saw black figures close to the windows at night. She said that these dark men would ask her to let them inside. She said they scared her and that she would just cover her head and try to ignore them. Upon telling this to my mother, she wouldn't believe her, so she came to me with these creepy stories. I wanted to trust my sister to make her feel better about this situation, but I was skeptical to be honest. I mean, boogeyman outside the window? It just sounded like a story someone told my sister and scared her with. Even still, I wanted to help, so I would check the doors and windows and lock them if they weren't locked already every night, letting her know that everything was safe. After the first night, though, it was kind of eerie when my sister said that they came back and they were angry now that the doors and windows were locked. I tried not to let that get to me. Years go by, my sister continuously talking about these dark men, and I still hadn't seen them for myself, until I finally had my first encounter with them. My sister began to open the windows at night. I'm not sure why she was doing this, but as the breeze was beginning to chill my room, which was next to hers, I woke up in the middle of the night and went to go ask her to put it back up. What I didn't expect when I entered her room that night was to see a tall, dark figure standing above her. It was as tall as the ceiling, 
looking down with one claw-like arm hanging over her head. I immediately screamed. The thing jumped out the window in one fluid, unnatural motion, and my sister looked at me, saying, Why did you scare him away? It was then that I realized that everything my sister had been saying was true, and I no longer felt safe out here in the middle of the woods in this little house. But I know my sister would continue to open that window at night. The only thing that was different was I was too terrified to go and confront her about it because I heard things outside my door, things that asked why I wouldn't let them in why my door was locked. I convinced my parents to nail her window shut, lying about her sneaking out at night, and I thought that would be the end of it. But contrary to what I believed about these figures, was that they don't come out just at night. One afternoon, I was walking along a trail near our home, one that went into the woods and circled the property. It was a nice area to walk and to take things off your mind, but I stumbled upon something in there that I won't soon forget. A clearing just off the path caught my attention because there was something darker than the night standing there in the middle of the day. It seemed to be tugging and chewing at something on the ground, a dead animal of some kind. When I saw it, I gasped completely surprised to see something that unnatural. Then it looked at me with white eyes, shrieked at me, then ran away. I had never run so fast before to get back home. I ran back into the house and swore I would not take that trail anymore. A couple of years later, when we finally moved, I couldn't be happier because nothing was more torturous and terrifying than living in that stupid house. When the Moon is Full From Black Cat Ninja I grew up loving the outdoors. I would spend a lot of my time outside with my dad, often camping. This happened around fall one year. All the leaves had turned that beautiful fiery orange. I was playing outside on the edge of the forest as we lived very close to it. I was running around, pretending to be flying an airplane. That's when I saw the strangest thing. These bunches of yellow eyes staring at me through the tree line. I froze when I saw it. I was instantly afraid, and I remembered that old saying that wild animals could smell your fear. My spine began to tingle and my heart felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. I ran back to the house, afraid of what I might see jumping out of that forest at any moment. About a week after this, my dad and I were planning a camping trip in those very same woods. When the time came, we wandered deep inside the forest, finding an ideal spot. It didn't take long for me to begin to notice a bunch of claw marks on the trees around us. But my dad said it was just bears, though his expression was one of confusion and concern. Later on, my dad was pitching the tent. As I was more in the way at the time, I decided to explore the woods a bit, still a bit wary from that experience before. 
And of course, to make things even more eerie, I stumbled upon a half-eaten raccoon. I reported this to my dad as well, who naturally said that this was normal. We were in the middle of the woods after all. As night came near, we got inside the tent. I fell asleep early. I woke up a few hours later, my dad snoring next to me. I realized that I needed to use the bathroom. I got up, exiting the tent and trying my best not to wake up my dad in the process. I grabbed the flashlight, then reluctantly found a tree as close to the remaining embers of our fire as possible. I was about to do my business when I suddenly stopped. I noticed something that gave me chills. A sort of gurgling sound coming from the nearby trees, followed by growls, as if whatever was making the gurgling sound noticed that I was there, and it didn't like that one bit. It took me a moment to locate the sound, and when I did, I was met with a dreadful, bristling mass of gray fur. It stood on all fours, and it was leering at me with pure hatred in its eyes. I had no idea what kind of animal I was looking at. It was like a malformed dog, certainly not a bear, not with those teeth that seemed to come from the bottom and protrude outwards over the top lip. Whatever it was, it was terrifying to behold, and plenty big enough to probably bite me in half. As I stood there quivering, it hit me. Those eyes were the same yellow eyes I'd seen in the woods that day, meaning I'd seen this thing before, and there were more of them in these woods. I ran so fast back to our little fragile tent that everything was a blur of tears and wilderness speeding past me. I have no idea how I made it back to the tent without being attacked or annihilated, but I did and I immediately woke up my dad. He didn't seem to believe me or he was more tired than anything, until we heard the howl coming from just outside the tent. We went quiet and waited for that massive creature to walk back into the forest, leaving us alone and terrified. Ever since then, I have not felt the same amount of fear as I did that night when I saw those yellow eyes glowing in the darkness. It's been a long time since then, and I've moved far away. But these days, I don't enter the woods without a firearm. It stalks me from Frank the Jarhead. I was in high school, and I was not an extremely religious person. But I did believe in God. And as such, I believe the paranormal is a very real thing. There are things in this world that will remain to be unexplainable. Things that nobody can comprehend. I'm not entirely sure if this is one of those things, but it definitely feels like it. It all began a couple of weeks ago. Relatively small, really. I'd sometimes wake up with small scratches and cuts on my arms and body. I thought nothing of it until I began to get bruises on my palms and knuckles, followed by extremely painful cuts and bruising on my arms. I tried to see if I was sleeping wrong or doing something to myself in my sleep, 
but even when recording myself, I never found anything. Then one night, I had a very dark and disturbing dream, one that really shook me. A dream of my sister being brutally tortured by a tall and slender woman-like thing. It was an entity that I'd never seen before. The female thing laughed as she put my sister through the worst pain imaginable, and hearing her laugh, it made something inside me snap. Suddenly, my body begins to change and twist and morph painfully, until I become something muscular, with long limbs, gray skin, and patches of black fur, and I begin to chase after her. She somehow looked more terrified than my sister she was just torturing. Then, in the most disgusting, moist way, I devoured her. I woke up in a terrible sweat, my heart pounding. It took me hours to calm down and fall back to sleep, but those images were burned into my mind. The following day, I was lying in bed scrolling through my phone in the middle of the night. Then I freeze, because out of the corner of my eye, where my eyes could barely see any longer due to the brightness of my screen, I could make out a figure. A figure that was terribly familiar. It had long legs, gray skin, and patches of black fur. I was too terrified to move. My mind was repeating the same phrase over and over. This couldn't be real. I wanted to pinch myself, because this had to be a nightmare, right? Whatever the thing was, I felt like I knew it, and that it knew me. But it was definitely malicious. I could feel a burning rage and hatred just pulsating off of it from here. The texture of my room was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. We stood there, still, it looking at me, and I looking at my phone for probably an hour. Before I eventually forced myself to move, I jerked my head suddenly in its direction, and it faded away. It was like it was never there, though I promise I saw it, flesh and all. I just don't know what to make of these dreams and figures. How is the woman entity connected to the beast, and why are they appearing before me? Is there something wrong with my head, or is my body, my mind, being ravaged by two different demonic things? Strange Happenings from BPP-26 I've always been interested in the unexplained, but I never thought I'd experience something for myself. About two years ago, when I was 14, I had a sort of first job. I worked with my mother who was a dental assistant at an old dental office, and I helped her with things. I mostly did all of the cleaning of the rooms and instruments. I would also take out the trash and do filing for the patients and information. It was an okay job with okay pay. However, I never liked the feeling I received every time I would enter the old office. It wasn't necessarily a completely negative feeling, but it was an odd one, as if someone was watching me from the shadows. The feeling would become worse every time I was alone in the building, which is why I didn't like working there, 
or being there alone. Unfortunately, sometimes I had to be. Small things began about a month after I started working there. Things like finding instruments in places I know I hadn't left them, or doors being open when I know for a fact that I had closed them moments ago. Plus that odd feeling of being watched. Add that all up, and I often hated it. I tried to ignore it as best I could, telling myself I was tired, stressed out. But then things only progressed. One afternoon, my mother was over at the next door gas station, getting us something to snack on. So I was alone at the time. I was busy taking out the trash and putting a new bag in the can when I felt that odd feeling becoming a little stronger than usual. As I often did, I tried to ignore it, focusing on the trash. But my heart was beginning to race as I felt like someone was right behind me. Just as I was about to turn around, I felt what seemed like a cold hand stroke my hair. I jumped, turning around immediately, expecting to see my mother. But the room was empty. Confused and heart still racing, I walked throughout the office calling for someone. There was no one there to answer me. No one at all. Another afternoon, I was vacuuming by the front entrance while my mother was doing things on her computer in the office. Once I was done vacuuming, I bent down to grab the cord, and I wrapped it around the vacuum to put it away, when I suddenly felt as if I bumped into someone. I nearly fell forward. I stood up to look behind me, expecting to see a wall or a table or something, or even a client that had snuck up on me. But again... There was no one there. Nothing at all for me to run into, let alone trip over. I still tried to dismiss this as nothing and continued on with my day. However, the whole rest of the day, I felt like someone was right behind me again, staring daggers into my back. The most terrifying and unexplainable experience of all, though, happened one morning while I was again vacuuming by the front entrance. I was getting ready to vacuum down the hall when I looked up and saw a completely black silhouette of a person very cautiously poking his head out from one of the rooms. Upon noticing me, the figure snapped its head back into the room and out of view. It all happened so fast, I was shocked, and I was still trying to process what I had just seen. A ghost? Demon? I didn't know for sure. I refrained from talking about it or telling this to anyone, for fear of people thinking that I was crazy, or just a storyteller. But I know I saw something. The months after that experience, strange things continued to happen to me, but none could compare to seeing what I saw. Long after quitting that job due to extracurricular activities at school, I finally decided to bring up my strange happenings to my mother who shared a few of her own that I didn't even know she had. Turns out, before her dental office was even a dental office, it was someone's home. My mother didn't know about the occupants other than they left one day and never came back. My mother thought it might have been because they couldn't afford to live there anymore, but I'm none too sure. Anyway, my mother told me that strange things would happen to her while she was there. She would hear doors creak open and slam shut, 
Lights would flicker or be turned on in rooms. Things would be misplaced, and she too always felt like she was being watched, whether she was with someone or alone. I believe now that part of the reason she wanted me to work with her was to have someone there with her because she was so creeped out. To this day, I don't know exactly what I encountered working at that dental office, but I know it had to have been paranormal. This world is truly strange, and strange happenings are a daily occurrence. Well, this additional reason for being scared of the dentist brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Now you might understand my conundrum. Sure, clean and healthy teeth are nice, but what do you do when the shadow man keeps sticking his fingers in your mouth? Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own you want to share and hopefully have it narrated, share it with us at darknessprevails.org. If you want to support the show, you can do so with the links below. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store for some creepy cool merchandise. Now as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video, titled, How Can I Sleep When Someone Is Watching? Five True Horror Stories. Optic says, If I'm not in the next video for the early comments, I'm going to throw up. I'll grab the towel. Gross. The Forlorn Bat says, It's hard to sleep when someone's watching, unless you're Bella Swan. But the catch is you have to be a sexy, sparkling vampire. Fight the Assimilation says, I love watching your videos, Darkness. I hope you're feeling better. I feel great now. Just got a really, really runny nose. You can probably hear it in this video. Zeppelin Girl 86 says, It's very interesting to wake up to a toddler staring at you. Yeah, especially if you don't have one. And Hero Brian 854035 Max says, The creepypasta music I found you told me isn't the same music you use, Darkness Prevails. That's a really confusing sentence to say. Also, it is. Maybe you're not looking hard enough. My music comes from Coag on YouTube, Miyuji on YouTube, EpidemicSound.com, which you have to pay for, or Incompetech.com. Recently, I've been making my own music, so you'll start to hear that too. But that should be on my channel on Dark Music, and you can use it for free. Discover for yourself. I'm giving you everything you need to find it. Here on out, it's up to you what you find or can't find. And Miss Creepypasta Boo says, Please let this be early enough. I love your videos. Hashtag scary is life. Thank you, Boo. And hashtag scary is death would be true, too. Well, this is the end, but don't be too scared, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Hey you, if you've got a second please go to darknessprevails.org slash review and review my podcast on iTunes. I'm desperately trying to get to 1,000 reviews, and now we're only two away from 800. Each one would help so much.
Thank you. Today we have slime creatures, best boy werewolf attacks, and plenty of demonic activity to keep your thirst for thrills and spoops quenched. So grab your crusty old towel and prepare for a moist, scary night with these allegedly true horror stories. Remember, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to have narrated on the show, the first thing you gotta do is share it with us at darknessprevails.org. Thank you. Now, let's get to it. Past Shadows from Anon It started a month ago. It was on a Wednesday after school during my high school art club. For this particular club, our instructor decided to take us down the road for a visit at our local cemetery. They took us there to sketch cool gravestone designs. I'd been there many times before, but not to this section, as none of my relatives were buried here. The town had a giant graveyard, and the town itself is minuscule in comparison to nearly every other town located in North America. At the time, freshly fallen snow covered every bit of the sidewalk, along with layers of ice from the mixture of snow and rain we had a few days ago. I remember, it was quite cold that day, and my fellow members of the art club and I huddled together to stay warm, clutching and shaking with our sketch pads and pencils, our feet sinking through the sticky, thick snow. We walked around for about five minutes until we finally reached the old cemetery. It dates back to the 1700s. It looked quite beautiful. The snow covered the barren branches of trees and cloaked the top of the gravestones. The instructor told us to go explore and have fun sketching out the various designs. The thing about this gravesite was that forests surrounded it. Like many buildings and areas in this small town, surrounding it was just wilderness. The large mass of woods consumes a section of graves, too. Some of those graves are lodged in between trees and can be barely noticeable to the eye. Being my adventurous self, as always, I grabbed my friend's freezing hand and walked around into the forest area of the cemetery. We walked for a little while and approached an old burial vault. I didn't pay attention to the name printed in bold letters at the apex of the chamber. Rather, I just paid attention to the environment, not wanting to trip over some upsticking root or slip on a patch of ice. There was really an odd vibe to the place. It was different from the other parts of the cemetery. I was cold, but this place seemed to make the hairs on the back of my neck and arms stand up, like a different kind of chill. This usually doesn't happen to me, but I was quite freaked out by the feeling around this old burial vault. I turned over to my friend, about to tell her that we should leave. I could tell by her facial expression that I wasn't the only one who thought this. To sum up the creepiness, it felt like someone, just one other person there, was staring at us, even though we couldn't see them. I know it's cliché, but it really felt like we were being watched. It was coming from what seemed to be the inside of the vault. Exchanging glances again, I took my friend's hand and I started to walk back. Even though we were leaving, that feeling only worsened, 
causing our walk to quickly turn into a run. Now the thing about running in snow mixed with ice was it was easy to slip. That's exactly what happened to my friend. She slipped and fell, causing me to fly backwards onto my back. I looked around. First I saw that we were near the group instructor, and then behind us I saw nothing. The feeling of something being there was completely gone now. We laughed in triumph as we helped each other up, and a little while later it was time to go. My mother picked me up since I didn't have my driver's license yet, and we drove home through the now lively falling snow. That evening, I was getting ready for bed at around 11 that night. It was Saturday the next day, so I stayed up a little longer. I've always had this irrational fear of looking into mirrors at night. I have no idea why. Maybe I'm just afraid of what I might see. That night, however, I felt exhausted. I had a bunch of assessments that week, and I just wanted to rest. Right after I finished brushing my teeth, that weird vibe my friend and I had felt from the cemetery earlier that day returned. I stared at the flowing water of the sink and was reluctant to look up. Curiosity and caution consumed me as the hair on the back of my neck stood on edge again. Something was drawing me to look into the mirror, but I felt too scared to do it all at once. Slowly, I averted my gaze from the flowing source of water toward the mirror. When I looked into the glass, I was relieved to see nothing there. Well, that's what I thought at first, at least. There was something else there, not in the mirror in particular, but a certain burning smell, kind of like sulfur and rotten eggs. It was foul, but faint. Squinting, I looked closer into the mirror. I noticed my shadow, but that wasn't my shadow. Mine was reflecting onto a different surface than the one I was looking at. So whose shadow was this? This shadow was tall, nearly reaching the ceiling, which admittedly isn't that tall as we lived in a trailer-sized home, but it still was unnatural for anyone who lived here. Not to mention the shadow had an eerie arch to its back. The shadow seemed to slowly walk off into the hallway, which was completely dark, as everyone else was in bed. I was absolutely terrified at the sight of this. I turned on the light of my phone and booked it down the hallway into my parents' room. I told them what had happened, waking my mother and father out of a very deep sleep. My dad believed what I said, but my mom, being a skeptic, was only irritated. Along with my dad, we called out a loud prayer, making darn sure that anything in that house heard it. The funny thing is, none of us are religious, so it was surprising that the feeling did go away just as quickly as it appeared after we were done praying. Fast forward to just the other night. I'm not sure if this relates to those events, but I got that feeling that I was being watched again. It was two in the morning this time, and I was awakened by a very loud sound. It was so startling, so frightening, 
that I woke up with my heart beating outside my chest. I turned on my light, only to see that the giant mirror that was literally screwed into the wall had been unscrewed and had somehow fallen onto the ground. Sluggishly, I left the warmness and security of my bed. Then I lifted up the mirror, which was face down on the ground, suspecting that somehow my cat, or gravity, had knocked it down, even though that should have been impossible. On the glass, instead of it being cracked or shattered, instead, there were scratches and claw marks that hadn't been there before. The ground below the mirror was clear, and there was no way anything was protruding to make those claw marks. I was on edge, but I didn't want to make a big deal of this. I didn't want to wake up my parents again. So I set the mirror between my desk and dresser, so that it wouldn't be able to fall and wake me up again. As I did this, the hair on my arms were completely on end. I was rightfully freaked out. When I went back to my bed, I noticed my cat was sitting there. He was on top of his cat condo before I went to sleep, but now he was staring at an area near the mirror, wide-eyed and beginning to hiss. I turned the lights off, literally sprinting back to my bed. I pulled the sheets over my head, fearing that if I was too slow, I would witness something. That feeling was still there, but I managed to calm down a bit, relaxing to the point that my eyelids were getting heavy again. But just before I nodded off into sleep, I heard another startling loud sound, different from the first. I lifted up the sheets and peered out. The mirror was still there, but something was off. The lights were off, but I swear I could see something moving in the darkness of my room. I quickly got up and turned the lights on. I was shocked at what I saw. I turned, and somehow in that brief second where I got up and turned on the light, the mirror now had a massive hole in it, a perfectly circular hole. I began to pray aloud. I closed my eyes and curled up on the floor, and eventually the fear and terror went away. I'm starting to think that something at that cemetery attached itself to me. I'm afraid it will never truly go away. A Terrifying Discovery From GT Insider A few years back when I was 17, I had a friend that I loved hanging around with because of the simple fact that he was genuinely an interesting person. He loved the same games as me. We liked the same music. It was generally what I would call a good friendship. I never once imagined that something like this could happen. The longer we were friends, naturally, the more I learned about his family and his life. He had no heat during the winter, no AC during the summer. He also did not have access to his own room or shower. This family of his, of about five people living in a small trailer, of what I can assume was one that had been abandoned at some point, and repurposed into a makeshift living arrangement, were all basically confined to a living room and a very small bedroom. 
not to mention that they only had one breaker for the entire house. I found out later they were only able to run a window AC unit that froze up so often that the house would regularly be 90 degrees or more. Besides that, they did have a TV and a PS4. My family was quite generous and caring for other people, and they actually allowed my friend to come live with us, as we did have an extra room. It would be a nice way for him to continue his life. He had his own job and he could support himself, so there shouldn't have been a problem, right? Needless to say, I thought everything was going very splendidly. We went to a Black Friday sale at Walmart together, got a new PS4 so he would feel more at home. He continued going to work as usual, and I even got him a phone that was way better than his $30 ZTE that he had been using. As time went on, issues began to arise with the living arrangement, mostly because his mother was still drawing food stamps off of him, and he ended up moving back to the house that I took him from, and eventually he got sent to foster care. Fast forward to just recently, I woke up this morning after having a dream that people were watching me from all around the house in different places. When I woke up, I had this intense curiosity to go check where those people had been hiding. Well, when I did, I was horrified to find phones hidden around the house, all of which had been connected to small chargers. They were recording our voices. They were everywhere, dozens of them throughout the house. Each of them was a ZTE Z812 phone. There was one behind the fridge, one in the lower part of my entertainment center, one under the bed in the spare bedroom, one under the sink in the middle bathroom, and one in the wall behind my TV in my room. All of them had been rooted and were running some kind of software that recorded things, sent it in packets to a source of some kind, then deleted the oldest data on a loop so that there was always room for a recording. I was terrified, realizing that many of my private conversations had been recorded, and God knows who was listening, and for what purpose. I lost contact with the guy a long time ago. I have yet to be able to find him again. And to this day, I'm still finding little devices around the house, and I'm scared to think that I'll never find them all and he'll always be listening. I Saw It From The Tower From Leia Kuro Okami I'm a certified corrections officer in the state of Florida, meaning that I actually went to a police academy and learned how to be a CO. There's a big difference between COs and guards, I actually guard the public from those who go against the norm of society. You see guards at crosswalks and such. Anyway, as a CO, I was assigned to a night shift called D-Shift. I worked five days, then two off, then four days and three off. My shifts always run 12 hours, so from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was at the mercy of up to 300 inmates. This night in particular, I was in a tower with an AR-15 and a radio. Keep in mind that I work in one of the worst prisons in Florida. So as I was up there, we got a proximity alarm. 
No big deal. It was windy, and the wind sometimes trips them. I went ahead and looked through the scope at the area as our outside patrol car rode around to it. I didn't see anything. Nothing there, so I reported it as such. I wrote it in my log and went back to sitting in the chair, waiting for my shift to be over. At around 1 a.m., the alarm was tripped again in the same place. The wind was still blowing pretty bad, so I thought no big deal. I again looked through my scope at the area, but this time, I froze. What in the hells is that? I thought to myself. Something was standing in the shadows. Now being a prison, it could be an inmate trying to escape, or a civilian trying to throw contraband over the fence. Yeah, it happens. I've even shot down a drone carrying contraband into the inside. Anyway, I spotted something and reported it to the center gate. They sent the patrol car over to take a look around. Whatever it was, it ran faster than the car was going. They just barely caught sight of it, although they could not tell what it was. My shift soon ended and I went home, pushing it from my mind until that next night. I was back in the same tower, same equipment as before. There wasn't as much wind that night, but when 1am rolled around, the alarm tripped again. This time, the crew wasn't happy. The prison went on alert, but not full lockdown. Not just yet. This time, the moon was brighter, and it helped light up the area. When I looked down the scope, I finally got a good look at it, and I was absolutely dumbfounded. I can say that what I saw looked kind of like a wolf, but it was standing up, like a person. The fur was as black as its shadow. My breath caught in my throat as I watched it. The center gate began calling me, yelling at me to report what I saw. But I was paralyzed. Even to this day, I couldn't just say what I saw to someone. It would cause me to lose my certification fast. But I know I'm not the only officer that saw it that night. Because the roaming patrol car saw it too. And it scared the living hell out of both of us. We never did say what we saw to the higher-ups. For fear of our jobs and sanity. Sure, you might not believe this story. But in those prisons late at night... It's not always the inmates you should be afraid of, because things do go bump in the night. Demon in the Dark From Brother Tony I'm 33 years old and live in Austin, Texas. Twelve years ago, I was a member of a Christian church in Killeen, Texas, due to my stepfather being stationed on Fort Hood. One night I was staying up late watching television. My family was sleeping, and my then-girlfriend didn't come over, so I was bored and alone. Around three o'clock, I became sleepy and decided to call it a night. I went through my usual ritual of praying before I went to bed. Now, I'll give you a quick layout of my mother's house. When you first enter through the front door, you have to walk through a long foyer, 
and the first room you see is the living room, which will also lead to the kitchen. Once you're out of the foyer area, you can turn right and go down a hallway that leads to the bedrooms. The living room is decorated like most. Pictures, coffee table, couches across from the television. But my mother did have a big grandfather clock for decoration, which was broken. It was really just there to add flavor. As I decided to go to bed, I figured I could pray in the living room and then head to my room after that. I left the television going for light, but I had it muted. As I began to pray, I felt something off. Suddenly, the clock, the broken clock, began to tick. The ticking noise with each tick grew louder and louder until it was an echoing boom. My concentration was now broken. I stopped my prayer and got up, trying to look at the clock to see if the hands were moving, but I couldn't. The light just from the television wasn't bright enough to see. I walked into the kitchen and turned on the light, but to no avail. The kitchen light was not close enough. I could still hear the ticking noise growing louder in my head. The temperature in the house felt like it was dropping now, even though it was the middle of a Texas summer. Now I had had enough. I began to grow frustrated and scared, so I walked across the living room to cut on the light. The light switch is right where the foyer ends, the hallway to the rest of the house begins. When I made it to the light switch, I had the urge to look down the hallway, and what I saw caused my entire being to freeze. There was a large, dark figure standing there facing me. The only description I can give of it is what people claim shadow people look like. Now, I've watched plenty of horror films, and I've yelled for the protagonist to run when they freeze up like that and look at the monster instead of just running away. But I now know what that feels like. Everything in my body and mind was telling me to run, scream, to do something. But I was petrified. I finally snapped out of it, closed my eyes and began to pray again. Then I cut on the light and everything was back to normal. The temperature was warm again, the ticking noise was gone, and the figure had disappeared. That was the most terrifying moment of my life, and I hope I never experience anything like it again. The Silver Creature from Silver Bullet 54 I've seen some weird things my entire life. Even still, I'll always take sketchy stories with a grain of salt. One of the strangest stories I'd ever heard was from a friend in Florida who told me about a silver creature that he had seen before. He said it wasn't an animal person or a decoration, but something else, which was a weird way to describe it, because once left after that, he challenged me to do a stakeout with him to see what it was, and I agreed. While I was down there, we actually talked to a local cashier at a store who corroborated my friend's claim, saying he had seen the same silver creature. He even showed me a drawing of it. The thing was flat, thin, long, and just plain weird. I commented that it looked more like the gelatinous slime from Dungeons and Dragons, but my friends insisted that this was real. 
During the first five nights, there was nothing to see there, except the occasional bird, person, or dog. But on the sixth night, that was when the show happened. At 11 p.m. on the sixth night, I was starting to get antsy. I told my friend to keep watching from his bedroom window while I went out to stretch my legs a bit. As I was walking outside, my friend began to tap on the window. I ignored him, thinking he was trying to freak me out. But the tapping became so insistent and non-stop that I started to worry. I turned to the window. He was now pointing his finger to the left of me. I looked and saw something stranger than anything I'd ever witnessed. It was about a foot tall, thin, twitchy, and was silver in color. I spun to my friend's window and he nodded to confirm that that was what he had seen. I began to approach the thing, but as if in response to me being there and approaching it, it just flattened and began to slide, yes, slide, into the forest. I was so gobsmacked by this, I actually froze for a full minute. I stared at the trees and didn't move or speak. I was actually carried back inside by my friend. When he set me down, I began to ask him, or attempt to ask him, What? What? But my friend interrupted and simply said that was the thing he was telling me about. I had questions, though. Like, where did it come from? What the hell is it? But obviously, my friend did not have an answer for this. Luckily for us, whatever the thing was, it seemed to be uninterested and even afraid of people. But still, my human curiosity is begging me to find it again and to reach out and touch it. Gelatinous Blobs Strange wolf-like creatures attacking prisons and demons in your home. These sound like people you definitely want to get a drink with. A drink of blood, that is. I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories, and I'm hoping you're liking this randomized approach to stories so that we can cover more topics. If you did enjoy the video, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want to share your story and possibly have it narrated, go to darknessprevails.org or darkstories.org. You can support the show in other ways by using the links below. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate or check the link to my store where you can get some creepy cool merchandise. Now as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode. Titled, A Skinwalker Climbed Into My Sister's Room. Six True Horror Stories. Delicious Lee says... Grilled pineapple on pizza. I'm not anyone to judge. I have heard that that is pretty good on Canadian bacon pizza. But I don't know if you and I would get along, Lee. Old-fashioned Canadian folk says, I'm addicted to these videos. Keep it up. Nothing like a good horror story. You've got that right. I particularly love Canadian horror stories. Because the Canadian wilderness gets awfully spooky. So Speaks Galactus says, Who knew skinwalkers were so kinky? I did. I've always known. Oh yeah. Herpy Derpity says, Dang, I've been seen without a bath towel again, huh? Wouldn't be a problem if you'd stop streaking into people's windows. 
I mean, I like it, but not everyone else is going to like it. And Bull Moose says, I'm a big, tough moose. Yes, you are, Bull Moose. Yes, you are. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're pretty awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. You guys like monsters? Because I've got several new sightings to share with you. Sightings of mysterious creatures in the wilderness of North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, and other unlucky places where you should probably either avoid camping or go extremely prepared. There will be Bigfoots, or is it Bigfeet, Goatmen, and animals that defy explanation and all logic. Prepare yourself by finding the biggest stick you can get your hands on. These are allegedly real monster sightings. If you have a story or creepy experience of your own and you want to share it with us, go to darknessprevails.org. Now, let's begin. Something is wrong with the woods behind my old house. From Sarah. My parents, little sister and I, lived in a house on the northwest near rural edge of Greensboro, North Carolina, for 14 years. We only moved away about three years ago due to a very long and very unfortunate string of circumstances. It was a pretty nice house, decent sized and with a huge backyard that was surrounded by deep sprawling woods. I grew up hearing and seeing all kinds of wild critters out there white-tailed deer, wild turkeys, vultures, hawks, owls, raccoons, you name it. It was beautiful. One of my favorite pastimes was sitting on the roof that overhung the back deck, smoking a cigarette, watching and listening to the wildlife. Back in 2011, my then-boyfriend, Tim, moved in with us. He and I and our friends would sit on that overhang at night, drinking and smoking and hanging out, all of us being very outdoorsy people and enjoying the sights and sounds of nature. I had told them all about the kinds of sounds that I and my family would hear out there late at night, sounds that none of the local wildlife could possibly have made. But until that night, I was the only one that had heard these strange sounds. That night, Tim and I had our friends over to have a few drinks and planned to light a bonfire in the fire pit that we had built on the very back of the property by the woods. We needed to wait until it was late, because we had recently been annexed into the city limits, and it was now illegal to have bonfires that weren't in those portable metal fire pits. In the meantime, we all just hung out and had our beers on the roof. It was around 10.30 to 11 p.m., and we were all laughing and joking around, having a grand old time. Then we all noticed the light coming from the woods. It almost looked like it was someone walking back and forth on one of those old overgrown hiking trails with a flashlight 
staying just beyond the tree line. We could hear the dried leaves on the ground crumbling and twigs snapping under their feet. That was the only thing we could hear, and I mean only thing, because the rest of the forest and wilderness had gone completely silent. We all stopped talking, watching and listening, trying to decide if we should go down there and check it out. I tried to rationalize it in my mind, thinking to myself, it's just some guy out on the hiking trails, no biggie, right? But I knew better, something just didn't seem right. I was beginning to see that the light we were looking at wasn't much like a flashlight at all. It didn't waver the way it would if someone were holding it and walking around with it. Instead, it was very steady, unnaturally steady. Then as suddenly as it had appeared, it faded out. Imagine turning off an old tube TV, the way the light of the screen would get bright for a moment and then slowly fade away. Now we could all see the faint outline of a pale humanoid shape around it still pacing back and forth along the tree line, staying within the boundaries of our property. This went on for about five minutes, that strange figure pacing back and forth, us watching it. Finally, Tim and Steve had enough and wanted to go check it out themselves and tell whoever that was snooping around our property to kindly screw off. We all agreed to go down there together, since their safety in numbers, after all. Tim and CJ grabbed their hatchets, Steve his machete, and Corey, Alex, and I had our knives. We went down the staircase from the deck and entered the backyard. As we made it to the halfway point between the house and the woods, the unmistakable stench of decay assaulted our senses. It wasn't terribly uncommon, after all. Where there's wildlife, there is death, so we didn't think much of it at the time. But then we heard something, a piercing shriek or a cry that no human or animal out here could possibly make. I know what deer, coyotes, foxes, and all the other native wildlife sound like, and this sound definitely wasn't made by any of those. We all froze. By that point, the figure had stopped pacing and seemed to have vanished, as though it had simply disintegrated into the darkness of the woods. Then there was the sound of frantic, thundering hooves and rustling brush breaking. It was like a herd of deer suddenly manifested and were stampeding nearby, just beyond our field of view. Perhaps they were terrified of the thing that made that cry. Another shriek resounded, only this time it was mixed with a sort of deep snarl. Whatever it was sounded big and mad. Then after that, more silence. We all looked around and booked it back to the house, wanting absolutely nothing to do with whatever was happening in there. The smell of decay had vanished along with the sounds. Upon making it up onto the deck, we all turned our gazes back to the forest, straining our eyes, looking for something, anything, anything at all that could explain what we had just witnessed. But it was all calm and normal again. The regular sounds of a southern summer night returned, and it was the last I ever heard that bone-chilling shriek. 
I've no idea what we all saw and heard, and none of us dared to go in to find out, even in the daytime. I'm kind of glad, to be honest, because I'm not sure I want to know what it was. All I do know is that something was stalking us that night, and I'm sure that if we had continued into those woods, things may have never been the same again. Be careful in the forests of North Carolina. Something's out there, and it's definitely very dangerous. Trapped in my truck from Country 1989 I'm a trucker myself, but this story is from another trucker I know. You should understand that we see a lot out on the roads, and quite often that means death. Accidents caused by motorists for a variety of reasons can turn pretty gruesome. Hitting something, anything, going 70 on a highway is always messy. Anyway, yeah, if you work as a trucker long enough, you're bound to see something terrifying. And what I saw in the look on his face when he told me this story, it was a look of pure fear and terror. I met the guy in the great cheese state of Wisconsin, far north of the Dells, obviously a pickup. We were both going to be there for a while. I was going to be going further north, and I mentioned that I would be stopping somewhere near Connor, Wisconsin. He immediately interjected, telling me that that's not a good idea. Okay, I asked why. He flicked the remainder of his cigarette and lit another one. He looked down at his hands, then mumbled, I wouldn't go there. Not anywhere near that neck of the woods. He only made me more desperate to know why he was saying that. I insisted. Why? What are you talking about? Then he finally began to explain. He said, Five years ago I was delivering to the ranger station. When I arrived, I was told by the ranger that we couldn't unload until morning. And I said that's fine. I got enough drinks and smokes and a night in those woods seemed pretty peaceful. Before I knew it, I had fallen asleep in the cab. A faint sound woke me up. When I realized what the sound was, my eyes widened and my heart stopped. Someone was trying to open my truck door. I leave it locked every night, so luckily they could try all they wanted, but they weren't getting in. What was scary was why someone was trying to sneak into my cab in the middle of the night. Whatever it was stopped, then moved over to the passenger's side, trying that door, but there was no way it was getting inside. As he told me this, he reminded me that he wasn't much of a fighter. He was dreadfully afraid that it was a bear, and that it was only moments away from breaking through the windows. He continued... A few moments later, the sounds stop. I took the opportunity to open my sleeper curtains. The only light I could see through the windows was from a distant electric pole, which was few and far between out here in the woods. It wasn't much, but the light was enough to see that a figure was walking around the front of my truck. And boy, was it tall. This guy, whoever it was, would have been at least eight feet tall. Seconds felt like hours watching this thing, as it slowly tried to find a way to enter my truck, and then it grew desperate, 
it began to run and slam itself onto the metal from the outside. It was hitting the truck so hard that the stuff in the cabinets were falling out. I can hear the thing hollering and growling with frustration, or maybe it was in pain from hitting the truck too hard. When the figure disappeared into the tree line, I thought it was over. But then the rocks and tree limbs began to hit my truck. I could hear this thing out there, throwing things, grunting, just getting madder and madder. I took the second to stop his story and asked him what he thought it was. He began to describe it. He said, It moved into the perfect lighting for only a moment. I could see how massively tall it was. I could see a head like a ram or a goat, and a chest that was broad and covered in shaggy fur. Fur that was dark black. Its legs were bent backwards. It was the strangest, most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. I was so scared that I grabbed my family's photo that I kept on the dash, and I began to pray. This next part is what really messed me up the most. I heard the thing while my eyes were closed, walking up to the driver's side door. It was technically inches from me. Instead of trying to get in again, trying to break down the glass, it just laughed, like a human-style cackle. It was so dark, so demented. When it had its fill of laughing, it walked away, and the rest of the night was silent. I didn't sleep, instead keeping an eye out through the windows. Weeks later, the state rangers and officials determined that the damage done to the vehicle was from a bear trying to get food on the inside. But I swear up and down that that's not what it was. So if I were you, he told me, finishing his story, I wouldn't go up there, day or night, and if you have to... If you really, really have to, don't stay for long. The Knocking Man from Amgene Romeo Throughout my childhood, I moved houses a lot due to my parents divorcing. After that, myself and my three siblings were shuffled between them both. One particular house we lived in I was 13 years old. It was one of the creepiest places I've ever had the misfortune of stepping foot in. Until recently, I had almost forgotten about this incident, as I think that I had subconsciously tried to block it from my mind. It had been a hot summer's day, and I was lying on the grass in the garden, just staring up at the sky. Immediately behind me sat our conservatory. It was attached to the back of the house sitting between the living room and kitchen. I'll point out here that, being effectively a glass box, this room got super hot in the summer. So in order to let even a sliver of breeze into the conservatory, my dad had left all the windows open. Anyway, as I said, I was lying in the back garden, on my own, basking in the hot late afternoon air. Back then, my family was pretty poor, so all I had to listen to, music-wise, was some tracks on an old personal CD player. I was listening to some cheesy pop music. I can't exactly remember who or what it was. An hour or so passed by, and the sun was starting to set, 
casting all manner of creepy shadows over the long, high, fenced-in garden. I set up, gathering my things, and intended to head inside, when I caught sight of something moving in my peripheral vision. I looked over to the conservatory, straight at the spot that I'd seen the movement. My eyes widened. I saw what I can only describe as a shadowy man. He was trying to slip in through the open window. I say it was a man, because it had no discernible features that I could see, but it was tall and thin and vaguely human-like in shape. I let out a shrill scream, causing the thing to turn to look at me. It didn't have a face at all, but I could feel its non-existent eyes boring into me. It dropped to the floor, flat, and in the blink of an eye, faded out of existence. I sat there on the grass, staring at the exact spot it had disappeared. I was still not quite believing what I had seen. After several minutes, I roused myself, grabbed my possessions, and ran inside, making sure to lock all the windows and doors to the conservatory and the rest of the house. Luckily, with the sun setting, the air was cooler now, so even when my dad gave me a strange luck, when he caught me shutting and locking every entry point to the house, he let it drop when I said the cool breeze was making the house cold. A few hours after that, around 9pm I think, I sat in the living room watching a movie with my older brother. His name's Evan. Evan had just gotten up to go to the bathroom, leaving me alone in the room. The living room light was on, so I could see directly through the glass sliding door leading into the conservatory. I found my focus drifting from the TV screen to the glass doors. I shook myself and looked back at the TV, only to find my eyes drawn once again to the moon-drenched glass room. I stared back, and with a jolt, I saw something moving around in there. A black mass unfurled itself from its crouched position in the corner and moved towards the doors. I watched as it lifted a long, skinny hand and wrapped its knuckles on the glass, as if it was asking me to let it in. My brother chose this moment to walk back in. He caught sight of my terrified face and followed my gaze to the conservatory door. I saw his eyes widen in horror. He leapt forward and drew the curtains over the glass sliding door, hiding this shadow man from view. Dad raised his eyebrows in confusion, but headed over to the door and almost ripped the curtains open. The man was gone, and Dad proceeded to berate us for shouting late at night and making a fuss over nothing. We tried to explain what had happened, but he remained skeptical and wouldn't believe our story. Not that I blame him, though. He sent us both to bed early. I begrudgingly headed up the stairs and got ready for bed, but as I lay there... Trying my best to fall asleep, I heard a third and final knock on my bedroom window. I lay there stiff as a board, not daring to make a sound. I could hear the whistle of the cool night breeze and the sound of my own heavy breathing. Seconds melted into minutes, but no further sounds came. At some point, I must have drifted off to sleep, as the next thing I knew, I was being awakened by my siblings telling me breakfast was ready. I never saw that shadow thing again.
but he would not be the last entity that I had the pleasure to meet. Not at that house. Beware the shadows, because just about anything could be lurking there, waiting to pounce the moment you turn your back. What did I see? From Gidget. I was raised on a 200-acre farm in Virginia and have always been sensitive to my surroundings. I don't 100% believe in the paranormal aspect to cryptids, but I do believe in spirits. The farmhouse was built in 1775, and it was always active. It was beautiful at day, and creepy, almost unwelcoming at night. I mean, I'm too creeped out to go outside at night on my 13 acres in Georgia, let alone my family farm in Virginia. I've always been outside exploring, though, but can only achieve this during the daytime. I taught rock climbing at the age of 14 there, completed an eight-day outward bound course in North Carolina, and I try to get out as much as possible. I'm 35 now, and I'm like a squirrel that will pull over on road trips just to explore the new surroundings, especially if I see some interesting new sites, rock structures, or cemeteries. I'm constantly camping, swimming, hiking, kayaking, fishing, and exploring. I'm not afraid to go outside, but I'm always cautious and usually armed. Again, that's during the daytime. Well, on Sunday, December 16th of 2018, it was about 10.30pm. I was traveling down the road, bringing yet another carload from our old house to the new one. The day was in the 50s and a gibbous moon which was 60% illumination, no rain from what I can remember. I was driving about 50 miles per hour, and there were no other cars on the road at the time, nor were there any streetlights out here. In my peripheral to my left, I suddenly saw a 10 to 15 foot long dark brown object flying over the field, very fast. I didn't see wings, but what I saw did not have feet either. But as it was off the ground that far, it had to have been flying somehow. By the time I looked over, a second later it was gone. I even swerved due to turning around several times and slowing down. I've driven this road for years now, multiple times a week, and I still look when I drive by. To this day, I do not know what it was, but I've spoken to the owner of Expedition Bigfoot a few times. And he mentioned that last year, in this area, there were four reports of pterodactyl-like creatures being seen flying around here. I spoke to him in October of 2018. This was prior to my sighting. And I spoke to him again last month as he happened to be at a local park I was fishing at. Later the night of that sighting, the coyote screamed for almost 30 minutes straight. And in the past, and to this day, I've only heard them call for five minutes at a time maximum. I'm not afraid of what's out there. I'm afraid of not being able to see it while it stalks me and possibly pounces on me. Sure, I might not know what I saw, but I know for a fact it wasn't some ordinary bird or leaf debris. I've driven this area in every type of weather condition. I've never been able to recreate that sighting in any way. Not even close. I also have two other camping stories. One time we were camping at Three Forks Trail in North Georgia, 
I was awakened by the sound of something sniffing around our campsite. What's bizarre about this is that there were no tracks left, despite this thing sounding extremely heavy. Even more surprisingly, we stupidly left food out all over the place, but not a bit of it was touched. Another experience was from two years ago on a midnight hike involving tree knocks in South Tennessee, which is something supposedly common for Bigfoots to do. Believe it or not, I'm a hopeful skeptic, but one who wants to see something someday. Then again, I don't want to encounter something if you catch my drift. I really don't want to see something I can't unsee or survive, but maybe one day I'll witness something from a safe distance that confirms the existence of the supernatural for me. Things often go bump in the night, and it's not always your upstairs neighbors getting a little too frisky. When the creatures of the night come crawling to your windowsill, you're gonna need more than just bug spray. Let's hope your mobile defense turrets and guard towers are fully loaded and maintained. Because there's never such thing as too much firepower when dealing with cryptids. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story or a creepy experience of your own that you want to share with us, go to darknessprevails.org. If you want to support the show further, there are links in the description to my Patreon and to my merchandise store, where you can get some creepy cool shirts. Now then, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video. Titled, It Attached Itself to Me, Five True Scary Stories. Rockefeller 6041 says, I got an attachment with a mind of its own, too. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I hope that tumor gets better. Pips ZX says, Me running downstairs. Where's my popcorn? Well, Pips, that doesn't explain why you're trying to open someone else's bedroom door. Unless for some reason that's where you keep your microwave. Luke Skywalker Endor says, I have an Allosaurus skull, life-sized, in my room, so no demons would attack me. I don't know how that would protect you from demons, but as long as you believe, Luke. As long as you believe. Rachel Shipton says, Could you do more mysterious monster videos? I myself am having trouble with animals like black bears and spiders lately. Ugh, good luck with that. I think I'd rather bare-knuckle box a bear than deal with any spider. Sir Savage the 21st says, Bro, I just subbed, and you're already one of my favorite narrators. Well, I'm humbled. If you like my show, then you'll definitely like the No Sleep Podcast, which I can't help but recommend to my peeps. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are coming soon. Stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember... Stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. Haunted roads and houses, cryptids that aren't skinwalkers or wendigo, and mysteriously shaking beds. All of this and more in today's horrifying episode.
So grab your lucky pants with a weird stain, and send me a letter in the mail, cause I get lonely. These are six allegedly true scary stories about haunts and horrors. If you have a story or creepy experience you want to share, send it to us at darknessprevails.org. Now, let's do this. The Road to Nowhere From Marissa There's an infamously haunted road placed inside a reservoir within the city near where I live. This road connects two major highways, but as it tends to flood so often, it's long, winding, and cloaked under the cover of trees. No houses or businesses for miles on either side. You can imagine that come nightfall, it becomes pitch black. Next to it is a cemetery whose ancestors have long since passed or moved away. It's known as the Blue Light Cemetery, due to the eerie luminescent glow that surrounds it. For decades, people have explored this area, and the stories of the unexplained have grown here over the years. One of these stories features a woman in white who is often seen walking down the road, never showing her face. Another surrounds the sounds of marching as it was allegedly a Civil War campsite. The list of stories and encounters goes on as time does, and people go to satisfy their curiosity. I learned a lot about this place. I was drawn to it, almost obsessed with it. It didn't take long for me to convince my friends to drive out there as often as possible, always at night, always with the thrill of what we might encounter. The first few times we went, only minor things were seen. You see, the lore connected to this road consists of parking on a bridge and shutting off the engine in silence for a while, surrounded by the dark. All we saw those first few times were red and white lights in the distance, moving in a subtle but strange way that was hard to explain. Unimpressed by this, we left, and it was just in time, too because a patrol car came up behind us. We all had the same thought, get ready to see a different set of red and white lights. We braced ourselves to be pulled over by the cop, who simply drove past us, but slowly looked us over as he did, like we were suspicious. I caught a look at his face, but nothing came of it until we went around one of the winding curves and his car was nowhere in sight. It was dark enough out, that it would be insane for us not to be able to see his rear lights as he drove off in any direction. We chalked it up as odd, but probably explainable, then left. I managed to convince them to try one more time later that same night, only this time I suggested we get out and walk a little ways from the car. I was young and determined to see something, anything really. I wanted to be scared or amazed. The first thing I noticed was how silent it was. You would normally hear small animals, birds, or bugs, but something in that summer night out there in the middle of nowhere had scared everything silent. There was hardly even a breeze moving through the trees until suddenly, in every direction, we heard the sound of stomping feet. Leaves and sticks cracked like thunder in that silence. It was louder than I can even convey here, 
but it sounded like hundreds of men were rapidly walking around us and towards us. My friends all turned and immediately ran back to the car. I'll admit I was hesitant at first, but the fight-or-flight mechanism had been triggered deep down in me, and I knew this was not a fight I could win, or probably even participate in, except to lose. As we burned rubber getting out of there, lo and behold, the same police cruiser we saw before passed right by again, where we had last seen him. This time he did flash his lights as he slowed to a stop next to our car. It was the same man, too. We rolled down our window, bracing ourselves for whatever he was about to say to us, all of us still a bit shaken from the sounds we had heard. You kids shouldn't be out here at this time of night, he said to us. My friend quickly replied, Yes, sir. We're just driving through on our way home. The officer stared us down for a while, before rolling up his window and finally driving away. Something wasn't quite right about him. We didn't drive away just yet, because I put my hand on the wheel and asked my friend to wait. He wasn't too thrilled to stay there much longer, but we all turned to watch as the police officer's taillights disappeared into thin air, along with the rest of his vehicle. They just vanished, just like they did last time. We didn't go back there again, but I know others who have. I asked about any encounters with law enforcement, and many of them say they saw the same man, even though I'd never told them our story. Even fewer of them have spoken with him as we had done. However, it was always the same message. You kids shouldn't be out too late. Whether he's just a friendly cop doing his duty, or something else entirely, I've heeded his warning ever since. Bus Stop Visitor From Eason's Mom When I was around 11 years old, I was visited by a spirit while standing at my bus stop. That morning, my alarm failed to wake me up, and for some reason I just happened to open my eyes and found that there was 15 minutes until the bus was to arrive. I was running way behind, so I threw something on, used some mouthwash instead of brushing, and grabbed my bag before flying out the door toward the bus stop. Now I have Native American heritage, and I take my culture seriously. Anyway, I'm standing at my stop waiting for the bus driver to show up, who was notoriously late. I stand up after tying my shoe and glance across the road to the abandoned driveway to the left. I immediately froze. Standing about six and a half feet tall was a Native American male with long braids, one on each shoulder, dressed in a flannel shirt and ripped up blue jeans. He looked so out of place it was hard to explain, but I knew this was something odd to see out here. My suspicions were confirmed when a car passed by, and the moment it was out of view, the man had vanished, leaving only a human-shaped mist in its wake. It was a quick experience, and my bus soon arrived, but it was something so bizarre, so otherworldly, that I won't soon forget it. 
The Thing in the Barn from See No Evil 18 It happened about three years ago. I was 15. My parents were going out of town, which meant I was staying with my grandma, who lived right next door to us. I stayed there because I didn't want to stay at the house by myself. I always had a fear of being alone at that house at night, and I always thought our barn was creepy. So at my grandma's house, I had a room with a couple of game systems. Later that evening, when I was playing some games, I heard what sounded like scratching coming from the outside. It was like something hard scraping on glass. I ignored it, too scared to check it out, and too scared to want to think about it for too long. Around that time, my grandma called me from downstairs. She was making dinner that night and needed some seasoning, so she asked me to walk over to my parents' place to see if we had any. I was nervous because it was dark out and my parents' house was about 50 yards away from my grandma's, which meant quite a short but very creepy walk there and back, all by myself. When I started my journey, I had a strange feeling like something was watching me, and also everything outside was quiet. No animals, no insects, no trees, no wind. Just my footsteps. Thankfully, I made it to the house okay. I grabbed the seasoning, and as I closed the cabinet, I heard a different sound coming from outside. When I turned to look, I swallowed hard because whatever the sound was from, it was coming from the barn. The dreary, dark barn. The door to the barn, which had been closed this whole time, was now open. As I said before, there was no wind on that night. So how it had been opened, I have no idea. It was so strange, I was beginning to panic. I hurried, shoving the seasoning in my pocket, making a run for the door and sprinting back to my grandma's house. But as soon as I began to break into a run, the door to the barn slammed shut. I turned around. I knew I shouldn't have, but I did. That was a mistake. I turned and immediately thought I was looking at a person, someone coming out of the barn. But as my brain took in the picture of this thing, I realized it was no man. Its body was elongated and hairless. It began bolting towards me at an unnatural speed, appendages flicking about on the ground like some sort of giant insect. As fast as I could move, I ran to my grandma's house. I could hear its nasty footsteps as I was running. For every step I took, it took at least a dozen. It was outpacing me fast, but hopefully... I could make it back to the house, given how short the distance was. But honestly, I thought I was a goner, until my grandma came outside. The expression on her face was one of horror. But the moment she opened that door, I heard the creature's inhuman footsteps dart in another direction and disappear. I tried to ask my grandma if she saw it, but for some reason, she ignored my questions. Was she in shock, or was I mistaken about her having seen it? Later that night, I woke up and looked outside my window. When I did, I saw that same animal standing there out in the fields, 
dragging what appeared to be some animal corpse. It dragged the poor thing along the ground, all the way to the barn, then pulled it inside, as if our barn was its den. I never went back to sleep that night, and my family would later clean out that barn, finding remains of dozens of different animals inside. To this day, if you dig deep enough, there's more bones than you can count. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed, and even now, I have no idea what that creature was. Big Horned Monster from Rexy To give some background on me, I was 12 years old at the time. It was summer 2014, and I was taking a trip to Sheridan, Wyoming, for polo purposes. Polo is a game that requires training horses, so my mentor usually brought horses into the mountains of the Bighorn National Forest in order to gain the most trust possible from our horses and to move about 800 cattle up the mountain for the summer. You should know here that my mentor has lived and worked in these forests for over 40 years, ever since he was a kid. Five of us met on the side of a road at around 4 a.m., about half a mile from a lodging community called Teepee. I later looked this place up on Google Maps, and we parked on these coordinates. We parked on the gravel road, and through a hazy half-moon morning, a large tilted field uncovered itself, surrounded by dense pine forest. As we unloaded our horses, we quickly located the black cows and surrounded them, making sure we didn't miss a single one. About an hour passed, and the sky turned from a black canvas to a dark, bluish haze. It was still dark and even colder now, but the cozy layers of chaps and jackets kept me warm enough. The five of us met up, and my mentor decided that he and the other three will start to move the cattle deeper into the mountains, where he leased the land to keep the cattle for the rest of the year. This left me and my horse to gather any remaining cattle that may have slipped out of the group. As they left, I made my way down a steep grassy slope, towards a ravine about 600 feet down. This is where any cattle would have been if they slipped by. As I followed the stream up, I found no cattle. Partially relieved that I didn't have to round up any cattle, I slowly grew scared and started my way back up the hill to the road so I didn't have to be in the dark alone any longer. Three hundred feet and ten minutes later, I heard a rustle. My heart skipped a beat. After almost an instant, a small calf jumped from the forest and ran up the road to look for her mother. A wave of relief followed as a cool sigh left my lips. I tried to get the horse to keep going, but it wouldn't budge. As I looked down... I saw that the horse was on full alert. Ears pointed up, eyes opened extremely wide, looking off into the distance, into the woods. I stared in between the trees and saw what I thought was a bull. It had black mats of hair with encrusted mud and dirt all over its back. Now, the horse I was on has seen bulls before, but I've never seen him freeze up like that, especially not for this long. Wondering why this was happening, I began nudging, kicking, and shouting at him to move. But it was no use. 
It seemed like another five minutes went by, when I finally gave up, just sitting there on its back. As I looked back toward the figure in the distance, I saw the bull now standing up on two feet. This wasn't a bull, but it was huge, and it had horns. This was no animal that I was used to, let alone one that I'd ever heard of. I could tell that it was looking in this direction. I didn't want to stick around here any longer. After a few moments, my horse began to rear up, almost landing on its back and crushing me. Luckily, it came back down on all fours and began to sprint at full speed up the hill toward the road. I laid low on the horse's neck, holding on for dear life. After what seemed like several minutes, I felt myself being thrown from the saddle. As I flew off and into the air, I hoped for dear life that the thing wouldn't get to me. After seconds of flight time, I landed in what I thought would be hard ground, but instead I landed in what I realized was a bog. The muddy quicksand engulfed my body to the torso. I looked up and saw my horse shoulder-deep in mud, jumping desperately and struggling to get out. I crawled to the surface, hanging on to rocks nearby and pulling my body up. Before I could get all the way up, my horse scattered to the edge and ran as fast as it could down the road, finally getting away from me. I was struggling to stand, but I scurried the remainder of the way to the road, and I started to follow it to where the rest of my crew should be, but I was shaking and absolutely horrified. I started walking, but I stood frozen when a loud shriek pierced my ears as if someone was screaming at the top of their lungs only inches away from me. At that moment, I ran with all the life I had left, struggling with the weight of my jackets, chaps, boots, and mud weighing me down. However, the adrenaline filled my body as I pushed on as far as possible, ears ringing. After several minutes had passed, I finally reached my crew a mile up the road. The four of them turned and looked at me, staring at me like they had seen a ghost. One of them was holding on to the reins of my injured horse. My mentor, however, looked at me with a curious smile, then turned into a dreadful, serious face. The rest of the day was more solemn between us. My mentor had us move in a faster pace, as if he wanted us out of there as soon as possible, and I understood why now. I didn't tell him much, except for the fact that I fell into a bog of quicksand, and that there were no other cows left behind. As that day passed on, I thought of what might have happened if my horse didn't notice that thing, or if it had reared and fallen on me, or if I landed on those rocks instead of the mud. I was grateful that all the likely outcomes didn't happen and also grateful that I didn't have any nightmares or visions of that nightmarish creature. I made it out of this okay. The horse, however, was a different story. We could tell that the horse was different after that night. Jumpy, no longer trusting of anyone who had raised or trained him. He wasn't injured physically, save for some scrapes and cuts from brambles. And eventually the horse went back to normal. As for the two of us, I don't think we'll ever go back in those woods alone again. If you're in the woods, 
it's always best to never split up from your group. Always have a partner. Thing in the Bushes from Svetislav I was 13 years old and living in Bulgaria. This story began when me and a friend of mine were on our way to school early in the morning when it was still dark out. To get to school at the time, we needed to go through the forest, and yes, we walked our way to school. We were just passing the time talking about random things, when suddenly I heard something to the left of us. As we kept going, I would hear it again and again coming from the same side, and my friend was beginning to hear it as well. As the sound followed us, no matter how far we went, it was starting to worry the both of us. It could have been someone following us. Then came the most insane sound I'd ever heard in those woods. It sounded like a dying goat. I began to panic and pulled out a little butterfly knife that I kept. My friend and I moved closer together and faster. We kept making our way to school, hoping nothing would happen. And we made it there okay. But the entire day I was at school, I knew we'd have to venture back through those woods to get home, and I was afraid that we'd run into the thing that I'd heard. After school that day, we walked even slower than before. Our exhaustion from the school day and our fear that had been building up got the better of us. I know we probably should have hurried, but we were shivering, and it wasn't from the cold. But that afternoon we saw the strangest thing come out of the bushes. Imagine a plump little pig, but with its skin peeled off, and instead of skin, a transparent layer, where you could see blood moving through its veins. It was so weird, so creepy. I was in shock. We just kept staring at the thing, until my friend screamed, and we began to run out of the forest. We went back to my house fast, Mine was the closest. I still haven't figured out what that thing was. It doesn't really match any urban legends or mythical creatures we've heard of. So if you have any idea, we'd love to know. I hope I don't see it again. It might not be dangerous, but it's not something you enjoy looking at. Why is my bed shaking? From Sadako, 1580. This started happening when I was twelve. I had a waterbed. I would be lying still and there would be ripples out of nowhere, like someone had poked the bottom corner of the bed. I would always convince myself somehow that it was my fault, even though I didn't move. Years later, when I was sixteen, my little sister wanted to trade rooms with me. Funny thing was, she didn't even ask. She just said, We're trading rooms now, okay? I thought this was strange since her room had a phone jack. This was the 90s, so we didn't have cell phones. And what teenage girl didn't want a phone in her room? So without a word, I agreed to trade with her. Then things began to escalate. I always felt like someone was in the room with me, like someone was staring at me at every moment. I would often rip off my headphones and look around the room, only to find that no one was there. One morning, I was half asleep when I heard things fall from a shelf, but I told myself it was just the cat, then went back to sleep. When I got up, 
I realized my door was shut, so there was no way the cat could have been in my room. My toys had been scattered all over the floor. They didn't just fall. It was more like someone had violently thrown them off the shelf. Then my bed would start to shake some nights. Not just little ripples. It was like someone was shaking the frame as violently as possible. And I could no longer convince myself that I was causing all of this. Sometimes it would sound like a small animal was running around the room at night, or in circles around the bed. I knew it wasn't squirrels or raccoons on the roof, because I knew what those sounded like. I thought that it was a ghost of a cat, if anything. I even told my family about it. They told me that I was living in my own little world, that I was just crazy. So I lived with this, realizing that whatever it was wasn't going to hurt me, I didn't think, and I wasn't afraid of it anymore. It was just kind of there. One day out of the blue, my sister told me that she wanted to trade rooms again because she saw a wolf with red glowing eyes looking at her at night. I sarcastically said, Thanks for sticking me with the haunted room, and for calling me a crazy along with mom and dad when I tried to say something about it. I felt betrayed. We actually argued about whether the ghost in my room was a wolf or a cat. I remembered trying to talk about it again after we stopped fighting, but she said that she didn't believe in ghosts, and that she never saw anything of the sort. This was beginning to make me feel like I was actually crazy like my parents had said. So I moved out when I was 19, and whatever that was that was shaking the bed, it came with me. Though it wasn't as intense, and it only happened when I was upset or nervous. My bed would shake, and I would be like, oh, there it is again. It had become something normal to me. It would gradually begin to fade, and I forgot about it for a long time. I'm only remembering it now because I moved back home to take care of my mother. When I got back, she told me one day that she saw my cat again. I said, I don't have a cat anymore. He died a long time ago. She said to me, No, not that one. The ghost one you used to talk about. I saw it. It was slinking down the upstairs hallway like a shadow. My mom is elderly but not senile, and I definitely believed her. But I was floored. There were so many times I thought I was going crazy, but someone finally experienced the ghost cat. And it was a cat. I was right. I actually haven't experienced much since moving back in. There was an occasion where it sounded like someone tried to open my bedroom door at night, but I didn't hear anyone in the hallway. All I did hear was a distinct knob rattle. The house is old and creaky after all, and there's no way someone could have done that without me hearing them coming. So apparently whatever this entity was, they're still here in the house. They're still here following me. But they're as lazy as ever, and when they do act up, I've learned to live with it. Mysterious Creatures Entities that defy death, and haunted houses that you don't want to ever go near. That was today's Darkness Prevails episode, and I hope you enjoyed. Remember, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, 
send it to us at darknessprevails.org submit. If you want to support the show in another way, you can go to the links below. There's a link to my store where you can get some creepy cool shirts, or you can donate to my Patreon via another link. Thank you so much. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, titled, There's Something Wrong With Our Woods. Fireshard2vlog says, Hey, have you seen my sanity? Yeah, it's probably out back hanging out with my coolness, which doesn't exist. You'll never find it. James Coburn says, My grandma just gave me a batch of jelly rolls, and you just uploaded a video. This is going to be a good time. Well, I hope you filmed that. A sugar rush mixed with a nightmare sounds awesome. No Need says, These stories have me psyched to go camping and sing the song of my people. Are your people skinwalkers? Because most people would be afraid to go into the woods after hearing these stories. The Shape 1978 says, Snoochie Boochies. I don't know what that means, but maybe it's something like Sneed and Feed. And if you understand that, you browse the worst part of 4chan. <laughs>